Sunday night edition of the Crash the Pond podcast. This is a special, special podcast today, folks. We've got plenty to discuss. Exciting things happened this week in the world of the Anaheim Ducks. Jamie Drysdale and Trevor Zegras scoring their first NHL goals. But there's a couple things I want to point out that are of importance and are special today. First off, we've got CJ on the show. So it's a three-man pod, which doesn't always happen. Full line. Full line here. Welcome back. And also, something that I can say today that I can only say once a year. And so, it's my pleasure to say to both of you, happy National French Bread Day. Yes, (laughs) indeed, today is National (laughs) French Bread Day. And I thought that that was worth pointing out. I was trying to figure out where the hell you were going to go with that. And I'm pretty happy that it went there, to be honest. I am so glad we are together for this momentous occasion. <laughs> to, tomorrow, t- tomorrow, get get ready, because by the time you're listening to this... So, okay, I, I guess in observance of the fact that most people will be listening to this, tomorrow, Monday, the 22nd of March, happy National Bavarian Crepes Day to all of you, because that is Monday's holiday. That so, seems way too specific. Way Bavarian too specific. Crepes. Who knew? Who knew like, that there like, we we gotta we gotta hold off on all of this uh, on all of these holidays that are being set out there. It's got to be like a national crepe day, sure. National this, Bavarian crepe, too much, too much. I, I think this is a this is an old man yells at cloud moment from you, Jake. There's too many holidays, too many. Back yeah, Felix, are you we in? We just had Christmas, Thanksgiving, and New Year's. Felix, are you in if we can just like completely annoy Jake in the group chat and have me every morning ask you what national day it is? <laughs> Let's just keep track of it. Let's do it. It is pretty funny that that annoys you. I mean, especially, it doesn't really. Especially because, you know, you, ha- I mean, you're always celebrating holidays, it feels like. So, what? I don't know. That, that was not wow. true, but wow, random, wow. weird. Is, but, it, uh, is that a dig on him I, being I mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean, it could be. Here's the question. I think it was on our Patreon episode yesterday. You uh, you threw the call out to me that I need to come up with more bits again. I think we found a bit for you at the no, start of each at the start of each podcast saying what the national holiday is. No, this this was intentional. I I planned this. Like this is my bit. You I I agree with you. Also, tomorrow is National West Virginia Day, which is, <laughs> okay, is, is West wild. Virginia. Like, why does West Virginia get a day? I mean, now I'm I'm hoping I'm not offending anybody who lives that listens to us in West Virginia. I don't think there are. I look there, at the analytics here. There, there might be one or two. There might be one or two, like at most. Um, so, Hello hey, to our fan in West Virginia. Yeah. Also, tomorrow is National Goof Off Day. So if you're if you're trying to goof off, make sure to do it tomorrow. We do that every day. D- don't worry, <laughs> folks. We will get to Drysdale and Zegras eventually. <laughs> all right. All right. We should, probably, we should probably cut that short here. Um, so I guess... It's kind of hard to figure out where to start here, but I think the place that we should start for two things, one, because like Jake said before the show, it kind of leads into the Drysdale debut, and also we can just kind of get it out of the way early. Um, so the Ducks' first game this week, they lost 8-4 to four to the Colorado Avalanche, which uh, the only real memorable part of the night was the fact that the Ducks finally wore their reverse retro jerseys. So, Jake, I'm sure... I'm sh- I mean, I know because we did a watch along that you were very excited about that. Yeah, I have to say, I don't know if I had ever been as excited for a game as I was for that one. Like in the or sorry, let me rephrase that. I don't know if I had been that excited for a Ducks game uh, in the past. I don't know, two or three years, because I just saw the warmups and 
I mean, this may sound goofy. You were like a kid in the candy shop. I was like, I wanted to shed a tear. I did probably shed a tear, honestly, because it's just seeing that those jerseys. And it here's the thing. Jerseys, absolutely beautiful, absolutely fun. I don't think – I love the jersey. I have it. I don't think I would want to see that jersey 20, 30 times throughout the season. I, I think six times it would be the perfect amount for that type of jersey. That's a fun, goofy, cartoonish type of thing. But here's the reason why I think that that – jersey really struck a chord with me and why it really caused that emotional reaction from me was seeing those colors because i mean we've seen those colors over the past i mean since 0506 so what would that be 15 years over the past 15 years we've seen that color scheme that exact color scheme with those pants one time one time during the 20th anniversary season we saw them wear that exact color scheme with those pants and it was watching that game when i remember just how amazing those colors, the eggplant, the jade, and the white work together. And, and just how much of a difference I think that makes. And it, it it reminds me that this is the team's identity. Like, this is the gra- this is the foundation of the organization. And I think it's a shame that they don't kind of go to those colors more often, to be honest. And that was what hit me the most, seeing those colors on the ice. CJ, you are the resident uh, proponent, I guess. that you, you are the leader of the orange and black uh, fan club, I think. Uh... You, you, you have... You have been the one in recent years to push back on the notion that eggplant and jade is is better. So how how was your experience with these reverse retros? So what I will say is that I no longer consider myself the leader of that movement. Wow, I, you're disavowing it. Interesting. I Interesting. kind of backing like, off. Like backing I, off. Let's let's put it this way: I was never a, a super proponent of it, but I was a defender of it for a number. Of yes, years. that was the word I was looking for. But Honestly, yeah, I was probably in that boat. But, but here's the thing, though: I feel like by defending it, you kind of are a proponent, though. Like, isn't it hard to separate those two? Felix, if we want to have a half hour like philosophical discussion <laughs> on the differences of those two, we will. I'm not going to okay. do that right okay. now. Fair enough. Fair Gaslight. enough. Gaslight. Um, <laughs> no, um, I, I, I think the biggest thing for me is that as time has gone on, I've kind of almost recognized like I still don't hate the colors, but I am on board with the take that it's boring now like it's a boring set of colors i am i am i am on jake's side where i'm a fan of the orange big surprise i've got the orange i do Mm -hmm. like the orange setup but you know as time has gone along and i think as we're also seeing sort of nostalgia really start to take over the market on like everything like 90s nostalgia right now is huge and you have more and more people because millennials and the people who grew up in the 90s are now becoming the dominant consumers and purchasers right so it's becoming back in style because you have to remember the entire reason why the Samuelis ditched that color scheme and that logo for the current stuff is that they wanted to grow up. They wanted to separate themselves. They wanted to be a grown-up hockey team. The Mighty Ducks by the Walt Disney Company were honestly considered to be like a marketing kids scheme, really, Mickey right Mouse. by their own admission, basically. Yeah, they were a Mickey Mouse team. Mm-hmm. And like if you think back in the day a lot of the discourse among the traditional nhl people were that they didn't take the duck seriously because they were like oh they're marketing they're a tool that was a big criticism of them now that criticism no longer really exists because then the, the nostalgia is back we've seen what bringing out like for the 20th anniversary this reverse retro we've seen what that does um and i think now we're just in a different time to where the eggplant and jade and teal and you know the eggplant and jade and everything like that teal careful 
Careful. All right, it, yeah. Sharks. It, it, yeah. it, it is not teal. Jake, Jake will hunt I'm you down. I'm colorblind. You know what? I'm colorblind. <laughs> We're gonna. What, wait. What that. was it? That, what was it? Sorry, John Aller said Aqua at yeah, the beginning. Aqua. At, Aqua at the beginning aqua. of the broadcast, and I'm like, okay. you worked. You worked for the team when they wore eggplant I, and jade. How do you I, not know? I actually think officially it is Aqua, like like in the in the in the actual like. What, well, whatever you know what? the official team is wrong. We are right. That's everybody. I'm pretty sure. I, I'm pretty sure I've heard that before somewhere. And yeah, you know, I mean, Allers is employed by the team. So, uh, so what I will say though is that, like, now I think that it's it very much would be I think in the Ducks' interest to really embrace their past a lot more because we've been seeing a lot more teams do that. Not even outside of the reverse retros, like the Canucks have brought back their old, you know, flying skate blade Jersey, right? We've seen the Calgary flames do some stuff with some of the retro stuff. We've seen that through a lot of teams now. And I think you're at a point now where you can get away with it as this great branding. And I think just the main reason why it would be good to embrace that more is just the fact that it's unique, right? Like the yeah. ducks, black, orange, so many teams do that kind of thing the the eggplant and jade oh man that that is so unique no nobody else has it i mean that that's the big thing there is it it gives them an identity and like i i like the orange and black i've i've never you know had any issues with it my main issue is just more the the jerseys that they have now like the home and away are just you know they've just outlasted kind of their shelf life i think a little bit or i guess they're past they're they're past their expiration date they were cool at first when they first introduced the the third jersey that's now the home jersey but it's kind of just it's a little too funky a little too cluttered to be like a, a true home jersey so i would just like them to really go back to the like if they made their home that their current third jer- jersey their home but like a black version of it you know a little less loud and then you just make the orange the third still i i think that would be fine already um just get away from the web d is the main main logo the web the web the web d is a secondary logo yeah like, i every, like the web d logo but i, I agree i like it i like logo. it too i have no issues with it it's just like you have the mighty duck logo it's one of the most popular and unique logos in sports like use it a- anyone <laughs> if you are anywhere in the world and you are wearing a mighty ducks logo people know what that is cj's showing I mean, his tattoo, tattoo right yeah <laughs> and, like people Slightly know different, but the mighty duck foundation yeah. yeah yeah people but people know what that is if you yep. show people the WebD uh, logo, people aren't necessarily going to know what that is. And, yeah. and I think that's the biggest difference from a marketability, from a, all this different type of standpoint. And I, I think I, I think they should go back to Eggplant and Jade as the main colors. I think maybe if you want to leave the orange jersey as a third jersey, I think it works well as as an ode to Orange County jersey. Yeah, exactly. Like I like the kind of local you know, synergy there. Yep. I think that that's cool. Um, anyway, this this took a wild turn to just pure Jersey talk, but that's what happens. The, the ducks were the reverse retro. We need to talk about it. Um, but yeah, I just thought that they looked so gorgeous. I mean, like you said, with the, the equipment that I'm glad that they actually got, you know, full on pants and gloves and they didn't just have their black, black gloves and, and black pants. They, they went all in on it and, you know, like Miller's pads looked amazing and the masks like, you know, John Gibson masks, John Gibson's mask, Stolar's Miller. They all looked great. So, just just awesome and i i actually like these better in the white i think than the than the original yeah. jersey which yep. is which is eggplant yeah, yeah. Or, or jade sorry jade with the white shoulders i actually prefer this because some of the reverse retros like you basically just end up coming away thinking i actually prefer the original better but this is this is an actual improvement on that so 
We will see. Now, in this game, though, just to kind of touch on the game, it was a <laughs> let's call it a, a victory for the the whipping boys, even though the Ducks lost this game and, you know, they were up four to two after the first period, which was really the last time that anything good happened for them. Um, I mean, the the guys who have been in the doghouse of Dallas Aikens all season long kind of took it to him a little bit. I mean, Troy Terry scored the first goal of the night uh, assist there for Zegras and Henrique. Um, Danton Heinden got on the board. Henrique scored a goal. Terry, the assist there. And then, you know, <laughs> Derek Grant uh, getting on the board as well in, in – <laughs> not the kind of fashion that, that he's used to on a, on a penalty shot. Um, but outside of Grant, uh, a big victory there for the, for the whipping boys, I would say. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, we've talked about it a bunch with, with Troy Terry actually being much better than the ducks were, were ever giving him credit for. And I mean, he continues to show that in this game, this wasn't a good game for the ducks necessarily at five on five, but the Zegers and Terry line. And I'm trying to remember, I think that this was the first game where those guys actually got yep. paired together. So yep. this was the formation of that line. And I mean, this was a bad game for the ducks from a five V five perspective and expected goals. And that's partially due to the avalanche just being really, really good. But Zegras and Reek Terry were the only line above 50% expect goals for, and they were significantly above it. Uh, 75.64 expect goals for percentage. So I, I know some people wanted to drive home the narrative. Well, Troy Terry was able to score on Hunter Miska Danton Heinen scored on Hunter Miska with it was Zegras and Henrique on the ice with them and, and really trying to drive home that those four goals came against an AHL quality goalie. And while, yes, that is true, and that does play a part in the fact that the goals went in, that doesn't change the fact that when those guys were on the ice, the Ducks got the better of the chances. And they were the only line even close to having that happen yeah. over the course of the night. And I think that's the important part here. It wasn't as if they were they were getting outplayed and they just got lucky with a couple bounces against a bad goalie. Yeah, and also Troy Terry just as a whole is a good is player just a, is just a positive impact player and you know he's still not really that great offensively but w when you look at like his repm chart but the way that he suppresses quality against it still allows the ducks to control the game when he's out there like i was listening to the pdo cast over the weekend with jack Hahn as a guest and he was talking about you know like how the leafs play they played it for control of the game essentially you want to play in a way that you're going to be able to establish whatever pace, whatever style that you want. And with Troy Terry out there, the Ducks are able to get into their flow much more easily because he's responsible defensively and he's able to transition the puck up ice and get it to his teammates. So that, that that's already more than you can ask for. And he and, you know, if you compare his impact to other guys who have gotten no criticism at all, I mean, it, it is pretty startling that. Uh, the difference there in the discourse. Yeah, I think yep. I think Troy Terry is a perfect example of the kind of player where y you have to be very careful when grading a player by pure like points, right? Goals, assists, offensive mm -hmm. production, and I, I, it's completely fair to say that yeah, he hasn't exactly panned out offensively. Maybe the way Ducks the Ducks would have liked him to, he still has some great offensive plays. Like I still think he has definitely like he shows those flashes of offensive skill. But where his value is right now at the moment. Is, as you said, Jake, is to be able to get the puck back and transition it towards them going up ice. And so many people don't realize the value 
in that to a hockey team, especially to a hockey team that is as bad defensively as the Ducks and has gives gives up so many chances. Having Terry on the ice immediately gives the Ducks advantage in terms of transitioning the puck back towards the offensive zone. So he he he's definitely one of these guys that you need to look at a lot of other metrics, and we try to share those metrics. But it, it, he's he's one of those cautionary tales of look. If you just look at his point production, you're probably going to be disappointed, and you're going to miss out on a lot of uh, the other value that he brings. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I and I do think that it is kind of odd that he has this big expectation of uh of producing points because he was a fifth round pick. Like why yeah. why why is the bar set so ridiculously high for a fifth round pick? Whereas um, you know, with, with Sam Steele, you you knew I, I was gonna find a way to mix oh, in a Sam Steele deck. You <laughs> always oh, bring in Here Sam Steele. I'm after Sam Steele. Here we Steel. go. I'm after you have him. a ven- you have a vendetta against him now. I I've yeah, well, I'm like convinced. He, he, it's not even a vendetta against him because I don't have vendettas against players. It's just that <laughs> I have a vendetta against the narrative that, that, that Sam Steele is like yeah. this kind of unimpeachable, you know, responsible two way center that, you know, he wins a lot of face offs, this and that, like he has been arguably the, the ducks worst player this season. Like, I think he's in the Derek Grant category. And so, but you don't really hear about that. Like you don't hear him get discussed that way. I should also mention that Sam Steele did not play in this game. This was actually, I think, I, I don't think he had been scratched in the game prior and he, would not, and he would not play the, the rest of the week. So yeah. it is kind of interesting that with, you know, Zegris coming up a little bit and establishing himself and I mean, Danton Heinen scoring a goal. It's, it's just interesting that that Steele is a bit on the outside looking in right now of who, Dallas Aikens is is giving the nod to. Yeah. Um I, I think to kind of put a put a bow on this game though, the this was not a good performance from the Ducks overall. No, they were awful. They, <laughs> we, they, we, they, we, we we've basically focused on the two good things, <laughs> Troy Terry and the jerseys. Yeah, exactly. This was a poor performance by the Ducks. It was a like outside of the they were okay in the first period. They kind of held their own in the first period. Uh, they were the worst of the two teams, yeah, but they, they at least they were, generated stuff. They were okay in the first period. Yeah, like, and then you know when people when I tweeted on 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 the night of the game that uh, oh you know that there was basically nothing good about that game except the the jerseys and people are like oh well how could you how could you ignore the first period it's like yeah well they got out they got out chanced they got outshot they got outshot attempted like yeah they got four goals which is great and shouldn't completely overlook that but. They, they didn't really play that well. Yeah, they they definitely didn't. And I think that, I mean, we should definitely also mention this. The the Colorado Avalanche are probably the best team in the league. Like, they, they, like this is they are probably spicy. the best best team in the league. They're the best at five on five and expected goals four percentage. Very spicy. They're very good on the power play. Very good on the penalty kill. The one the one kind of issue they have is potentially goaltending. And once Philip Grubauer came in. That kind of got resolved for them because Hunter Miska is not a good goalie. And so once that happened, the the Colorado Avalanche were able to take over. And this may have been a little bit of regression to the mean based upon how the, the Ducks were able to get results against the, the Avalanche earlier on in the year when uh, the Avalanche probably deserved a little bit more. And so overall, I mean, this game defensively was a complete and total mess for the Ducks. It was a disaster. I mean, a- absolute yeah. disaster. Yep. No no defenseman above 50% expected goals, 4 percentage. The the top two were Kevin Shattenkirk and Josh Maher at 36 and 34%. Jacob Larson at 23%. Ben Hutton at, at 17%. Yanni Hockenpah at 14%. Um, Cam Fowler at 18%. So nobody in the good range for the defense. Um, and, and so that, that was a big issue. And I think that 
kind of Felix, you mentioned it at the the top of this. The reason why looking at this game is somewhat important to get out of the way is that it informed what happened in the future. The the Ducks were really bad defensively, and I Eric Stevens even mentioned asked the question. I, I think to to Dallas Akins about the Larson Hutton pairing specifically. And about them not being good enough in his post in the post game press conference, and Dallas Akins mentioned that they they hadn't been of late, and I think that that really informed what happened next, which was Jamie Drysdale has been a guy that's was put on the taxi squad over the weekend, I believe was was when he was put on the taxi squad because the goal or maybe it was Monday because the goals were not going to be playing again until uh, yesterday night, Saturday night. Well, I and think tra- I think he traveled with the Ducks. He Well, he traveled with the Ducks to Colorado. He was yeah. on the taxi squad. They put him on the taxi squad, I think, to practice with the team. With I mean, Bob Murray had come out and said he wants to potentially well, get well, him that, in a game. That, that's the thing is when people were saying, oh, you know, he's, you know, because th- there was the whole thing last week about how, no, no, he's, th- this isn't to, to have him play because he's just there to, to practice and be in meetings. And it's like, well, what's the point of all that if if he's never going to play for the Ducks? Like, it was pretty clear to me that he was going to eventually play. Yeah. And, you know, of course, I got a little backlash for saying that, that I didn't really fully believe that that whole narrative. And here we are. So anyway. Well, remember, again. Another, I, another I, victory I, for me. Remember, I say this over and over and over again, and <laughs> I cannot stress this enough approximately or i would say at least 50 percent of things that come out of a general manager's mouth are complete horseshit yeah yeah live by that rule and you'll never be disappointed yeah (laughs) well it's it's just like yes that can be true but that like what what he said wasn't untrue it's just it kind of it didn't make sense that that that, it's not even that it didn't make sense It, it was just only partially the like part of the picture yeah like complete if he got hit in the face and they wanted him to practice with the ducks as a oh, yeah. result oh, to put oh, on weight like yeah he, he got hit in the yeah. face of the puck and they want basically he they, lost like weight the, he lost yeah he had to put weight it's like no you want him to play for you like yeah. just say it yeah like it's yeah. okay to just say i mean it. he did get sent back down after that and then played some games <laughs> for the goals and then called got called back yeah. up but you're you're correct the, he was called up and put he the the specific wording i think eric stevens had was that he was practicing with the team and taking full part in meetings yeah. Okay. So this, I remember this. I, I remember having an issue with all this narrative, and you even agreeing with with them, with them. What? And, and, and saying that I was wrong that he, that they weren't. Didn't him didn't I put out a tweet that you agree? I, I'm pretty sure I put. So my here was my logic on that. I think he got hit in the face, and I think that there was an injury there. Maybe he lost weight. They and so that may have been the initial reason they called so him the, up. So the night that that report came out, I was still adamant that they want him to play, regardless of all of this. And then and you were a bit more on the side of well. You know, it could it could just be that that's how they're going about it. Yeah, I that, think that's fair. That's which fair. which, you know, I'm not trying to put you on blast, although I kind of am. Yeah, you 100 uh, percent are. Uh, it, it, <laughs> I'm sitting over here eating popcorn while you two go at it. right now. <laughs> I mean, this is per usual for us. Well, you know, just, this it's just that we we are so deep into the minutia of this team that these are like the big issues that we debate over, um, you know, like what the reason for a call up was. Uh, anyway. Yeah. But anyway. regard, regardless, <laughs> Jamie Drysdale was on the taxi squad, and it came out, I think it was on Wednesday or Thursday, I can't remember which day, it came out that he was going to be getting into the game. I think it was on Thursday, uh, Dallas Hankins had mentioned at the mid-game, uh, or the pre-game press conference that Jamie Drysdale was going to be in the game. So I think he got called up that night, the night after the loss to Colorado. Yeah, like, he did. Like, like that's that, that was the report after the fact. Um but yeah, so I mean, let's let's just talk about that game. I mean, because that was, to me, even though the Ducks, I don't think, played this fantastic kind of 
complete effort of a game. You know, there was there were some bumps in the road. It was one of the most exciting Ducks games that I've watched in a very long time. And the big reason for that is that it felt it felt meaningful, right? There's been so many games this season that have been just complete duds that have felt like, well, what is what is the point here? What is what is the goal of all of this? And that game against the Coyotes on Thursday at Honda Center, it felt like it meant something. Jamie Drysdale picks up his first NHL goal. Trevor Zegris does it, what, a minute after? Um, and it felt like, okay, the, the future is here. The, the, the next wave of Ducks have arrived. And, you know, whether or not they'll, like, for example, with Drysdale, whether or not they'll stick around the rest of this, this season, it doesn't even matter. It's the fact that these, these guys who they are pinning their future hopes on are here and they're contributing. And that's, that's exciting. Yeah, it's, it's 100% exciting. And I, I think also, what was it? Uh, Ryan Getzloff had his 700, 700th assist in that game. Yep. Was it Ryan and Miller? Picked Ryan up? Miller passed Hasek on the win all-time wins. Yeah. And, yeah. and so, I mean, those I think are a little bit on the back burner in, in terms of a lot of fans view yeah. viewpoints, but, but I mean, still, yeah. th- this felt like the most meaningful ducks game in a long time. And it, it I, I think we were we were talking, you, me, and, and CJ were talking in our, our chat afterwards a little bit, and I, I think you said it that I was kind of like buzzing, like I was high off of that. Yeah, game. you were. Yeah, and, you, were, and, you really were. And I think were, I was. You were texting me until like midnight it, about it, just, <laughs> just factoids about the game. Because it was, I went back and watched different things about it because there were so many different, uh, so many different like things in that game that I think were so fun to watch, specifically when it comes to Zegras and Drysdale. And here, here was the thing. I don't really know what I expected out of Jamie Drysdale coming into this because at, at yeah. the end of the day, to temper expectations, but he's 18 years old. And 18-year-old defensemen don't make the jump to the NHL and look good that often. Like, even the guys that make the jump right away don't always look great in their initial performance. Mm-hmm. Jamie Drysdale looked exactly like he uh, belonged in the he, NHL. He looked how he looked in junior. Yeah, like, like he looked like he was playing in junior. He so, was, he but was in a good way. <laughs> like this is not trying to be over the top or anything like that. But he hyperbolic. was the best. Hype there, yeah, hyperbolic. Uh, but he was the best defenseman on the Ducks on Thursday no, night. Like, like there is a statistical case to be made there. Yeah, yeah, and, and you instantly saw the impact that he had. I mean, I'll, I'll have my uh, five takeaways coming out, and there's going to be some video in that actually this time around where you'll be able to see kind of his defensive acumen. But it wasn't just the, his ability in the offensive zone, which he showed when uh, he scored his goal. With I mean, there was the the chip off the wall to himself and the ability to walk the line, and that was kind of what he was hyped up as in junior hockey as his offensive ability, his his creativity in the offensive line, but. Uh, or in the offensive zone, but it was also his ability in the defensive zone. He had a couple of shifts in the defensive zone where he just through good gap control, shut things down before they could happen and instantly was able to get away from pressure and used his skating to his, uh, to his uh, favor and really didn't look like an 18 year old in terms of being pressured. Like he was able to make the right move look like he, he had played in the league for a very, very long time with some of the moves and the reads he was making and looked like he was ahead of the play. And you also factor in what he did on the power play. I mean, we saw it in both games, but there was one power play specifically with him and Zegras in this game where it was almost like watching two musicians kind of, uh, you hate this analogy, Felix. I can tell by the look on your face. I've said it a bunch of times and I feel like you hate it by this point in time, but it's two musicians riffing off of each other with creativity. And that's kind of what it felt like watching Zegras and Drysdale kind of play off of each other. I mean, cause at the end of the day, sports are a, a form of creativity for players to express themselves. And that was what that felt like play them just having fun out there with the space feeding off of each other. And it was, it was a treat to see in something that I think 
I'm so excited to see how how that kind of relationship, how that feeding off each other is able to blossom as uh, as the two get more familiar with each other. Yeah, CJ, what did you think of, of that night? What we've seen with both Zegris, but especially with Drysdale in his first game, I think the reason why that game was so fun, just purely outside of the debut of these highly touted prospects, is the fact that you have to realize that Ducks fans have been kind of getting strung along here with prospects for a few years now, right? Like when Sam Steele made it, uh, when Troy Terry made it, when Comtois, when Max Jones, you know, these guys were fairly hyped up within the fan base. And they came in and pretty much all of them immediately struggled. Maybe Comtois, you know, he had like the first goal on his first shot. He had a little bit of that, but there was a lot of these guys who kind of came up and they didn't necessarily match these quite frankly, unfair expectations that a lot of people had put on them. Um, And this time we see two prospects, two of the most exciting prospects the Ducks have had since probably Bobby Ryan. Maybe you can go back with Ryan Getzloff and Corey Perry, even further back to Paul Correa if you really want to make that leap, that we finally have these two prospects who immediately come in before they turn 20 years old and make a difference. They bring an impact. They bring fun. They bring creativity. They bring a style of hockey that the that Ducks fans haven't seen in years. And it's pretty clear, obviously, within the past few games that, no, these two aren't going to be the sole solution to the Ducks issues, right? But this was the first time after probably three or four years of buildup that the Ducks have had, um, you know, these these players come in and immediately make an impact. And we've seen these types of players make impacts on so many other teams. And now the Ducks have these players. And so if nothing else, there's still obviously a long way to go. But like, especially seeing Jamie Drysdale playing like a veteran, like he looked like he was potentially Norris contender for within his first like game or two. That is something I think really to be excited about and to really hang your hat on. I let me let me know if this is I, I'm not trying to set expectations too high. And I don't know if maybe I, I'm a little bit off base here and it's very possible I am. So take this with a grain of salt. But I don't think there's been a, a defenseman as good as Jamie Drysdale in a duck sweater since probably Scott Niedermeyer. With, with that much with the amount of skill that he has both offensively and defensively since Scott Niedermeyer. I uh, I gotta pull the sample size card out. No, I I, I agree. I I I agree. I agree. I agree. I'm just simply saying, in the small sample that we have, I'm trying to get people excited. It's been a bad season. <laughs> Let me hype them up, CJ. Let me hype them up. It's positive Sunday. Yeah, it's, positive it's, Sunday. It's, okay, go go ahead. Go ahead. Wait, would you would you agree with that? Well, as far as what about Fowler and Lindholm? I'm yep, exactly. I, you're, you're, well, I don't think Fowler's that hard to beat. Um, Lindholm is, I mean, peak Lindholm was very, very good. So, I mean, that's probably the best since Niedermeyer. Not real uh, never was is, is throwing out Lubomir Vishnovsky. Vishnovsky was amazing offensively, no doubt. Yeah. But I well, think defensively was is maybe lacked I mean, a little bit. I, I definitely agree that, that Drysdale has the potential to be that, though. I, I think that like that's in play. Um, I, I mean, I think that... What really stood out to me, and this does kind of beg the question of, you know, maybe maybe it was a good thing that the Ducks kind of, they, they basically let him, they called him up in a way without having him play games for a while, right? Being on the taxi squad, 
but participating in the meetings and the practices and kind of understanding the system to give him a running start. Now, just seeing how he plays, though, I I don't think it would have mattered either way. Like he's just yeah. so so talented, but it is interesting. And I will say this: I mean, we'll we'll get to Zegras in a little bit here, but I I think that game from Drysdale, just his first game alone, was better than any game Zegras has played this season. Like I think he was better than Zegras at his respective position right away in every facet of the game. Whereas Zegras, you know. It's been hit or miss. And the thing that with Zegris that's kind of tough is that he's been really yanked around by the coaching staff, like, you know, with the deployment and the the, the kind of puzzling, head-scratching benchings at the end of periods. Seems like they've gone away from that a little bit now. But that was a very he, – he got kind of a weird start to his NHL career, whereas Drysdale just got thrown right into the fire and thrived. Like, who would have thought? And on a pairing with Ben Hutton that, that he would come in and thrive right away. So I, I think that to me that – it was a bellwether type of performance because if you're that good right away, like you have to be pretty damn good overall, right? Yeah. Well, I uh, think it's I think it's really tough to to make. I, I get where you're going with that, but I think that it is he, tough. He and had a more unfair impact. To Stegris. Yeah. He, he did, but like you have to remember too, like it's a defenseman too. You don't yeah. have nearly as much leeway as a coach to be able to shelter them. Yeah. Really, you do to some extent, but number one, you're a defenseman. There's less of you out on the ice, so you're going to have to play him a lot more. But number two, as well, as you mm-hmm. said, Zegers has been really jerked around by the coaching staff. So it's not necessarily an apples to oranges comparison. Like, yeah, you're technically right, but um, I, and I will say that in his limited time, because remember, uh, if you think back i remember the game chart that i posted for zegris's debut zegris had an over 80 percent expected goals um percentage like even though he didn't play a whole lot he had a phenomenal game now who knows if you would have played him a lot more and didn't shelter him enough would he be as good we don't know maybe it probably would have gone down a little bit but it's it's difficult to treat the two the same right now but what i will say is that drysdale i'll finish on this drysdale whether because of the coaching staff or not, whether this is fair to the Zegers or not, Drysdale had easily the best debut. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Oh, yeah. To, to your point also uh, on Zegers versus Drysdale debut, I, I think a forward can be a winger specifically can be more impacted by the line he's put on and specifically the center of that line with their defensive ability and different things along those lines. Um, as compared to a defenseman where they're able to impact the game a little bit more well, yeah, and, and, and drive Z- their Zegers play. Zegris is not even playing his natural position. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. And so on top yeah. of that, it's it, Zegris is oh, yeah. being, I mean, being the, in his the, sheltered minutes and everything like that. This, so I, this wasn't meant as a jab to, to, um, to Zegris. It's just more so that... Felix, in, why do you hate the Ducks? <laughs> it's just that <laughs> in, the, in what we've seen from Zegris, he hasn't had a game like the one that Drysdale had um, yeah. on, on, on Tuesday. That's or fair. Whatever That's day, yeah, Thursday, absolutely. Yeah, um, I mean, and man, even just looking at the, the minutes from that game, I mean, Zegris, Zegris played less than ten minutes at five on five in that game, and he scored a goal. I mean, l- let's just really quickly break down the the two guys' goals. Well, yeah. Of- so, so the first goal from from Drysdale, I mean, not really a whole lot to it. Just walks the line, gets a wrist shot to go through. <laughs> beats the goalie and well i'm sorry felix i gotta do this because i posted this but like the entire shift leading up to Drysdale's first goal was monster that was one of the best shifts i've seen from a ducks defenseman in years 
Yeah, no, his his that overall shift was great. Like he, the, I mean, just in the power play and the passing and the way that he was helping maintain possession, like that. That's that's why I think he's just been more impactful already than Segrist is because of the way he affects the games, the, the game in those you know in those plays, right? Not just scoring type plays because the goal itself was kind of pretty standard, but it was still a nice shot to go through. Um, but really, the the first goal that stood out the most of the two has to be Trevor Segrist, though. I mean. A nice zone entry by Troy Terry, little saucer pass that kind of sort of deflects, but still ends up in a perfect position for Zegris. And he's coming in from the left side as a left-handed shot. And where a lot of guys would have probably just gone forehand, backhand to beat the goaltender, he essentially, he just held it on his forehand and just waited out the goalie and then just dragged it and kept going and just shoveled it into the top of the net, a la Pavel Datsuk. I mean, it, it really reminded me of Pavel Datsuk's uh, famous move in the shootout where he just drags it on the heel of his stick. And Zegras, I mean, he executed it flawlessly, a little different because it was more on the toe. But the level of skill, the level of patience, the level of confidence that you need to have to be able to execute that play with little time and space, um, it was it was amazing. And, yeah. and, I, I, and just the, the whole sequence, even yeah. just... Troy Terry's setup was was something to behold. Yep, and you're starting to see both Terry and Zegras be able to read off each other and yeah. read off each other and also read off of Adam Henrique. And, I mean, it's shocking. Put two highly skilled players with a guy who's able to shoot the puck pretty well, and you're going to find success. It's almost as if this coaching thing and line, line composition isn't worth overthinking too much and just put some guys together that are good together. That, that could be good. Well, no, Eddie. Troy, Troy Terry <laughs> even said it in the Colorado game. He's like, I really like playing with uh, yes. w- with Adam Henrique. For the love of God, leave me on this put line. good players together. Yeah, Jake. I don't know why I never <laughs> don't, thought this. Don't this don't put don't put Trevor Zegers with Isaac Lundstrom. How about that? How about well, that? I, Isaac Lundstrom might just not be that good. But um, I will I will say though that yeah, like the reason why that line works is because each player kind of has their own complementary skill and and it all just gels perfectly. I mean, Troy Terry, he just makes whatever line he's on better, to be honest. But it but it works especially well with Zegers because Zegers can can actually read off of him and get into open space. And Terry will do the same for him. And then Henrique is just good at finding those soft areas yep. and, and getting shots off. So it's, it is pretty funny that, that the Ducks' best line in the last two games is the line com- com- comprised of guys that have either been the whipping boys of the coaching staff or, in Zegers' case, have just not been given a fair shake minutes-wise. Yeah, shocking. Almost as if this coaching staff is absolutely clueless. Wow. Almost. Who, who, I mean, now they're coming Almost. to their senses, but it took a while. Like, like that's it, it the, took that, half the it took over half the season. That's the funny thing that that I was saying during the game when we were doing the oh well that wasn't the watch line for that game, but that particular game like that was always available to the Ducks like that kind of game, the, the, like these line compositions they it's not like they, they the Ducks couldn't have done them earlier. It's not like they couldn't have played Jamie Drysdale earlier. It's not like you know, it's not like they they had to scratch Troy Terry for like a couple of weeks. Right. I swear um, that 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 Micah Blake McCurdy tweet that he did a couple years ago is evergreen. The one where he's like, um, uh, an NHL franchise should pay me a million dollars a year and five <laughs> times a year. I would say, no, don't do that. And I'd be worth the money. <laughs> like, yeah, it's yeah. kind of true. It yeah. 100 percent is. But 
kind of kind of to to circle back on this game on the whole the ducks actually put themselves in a hole we haven't really talked about it but they put themselves in a hole early on ryan miller was not fantastic i think allowing two goals in the first two shots now granted some of it's not his fault yanni hawkamba with a poor play on the first goal um and and so can we briefly have a discussion i mean the let, let's just i'll, I'll Put a ball in this game, and then we'll, we'll have this discussion. Uh, Ducks ended up winning the game in overtime. They had a power play going into overtime, and Adam Henrique ended up scoring uh, on a nice great, pass from Getzloff. Great one-timer. Yeah. yeah, great great one-timer. Really nice to see that go in. Really great cap on this game. But can we have a discussion about Yanni Hockenpah? This is your vendetta. This is it, actually your vendetta. Here we go. This is my vendetta? Well, but, but before we do that, should we hear a word from our sponsor? Yes, we since we're we about have, forty minutes into the show. Yes, yes, we should. So, the curators at Bespoke Post have done it again this winter, and as we're now going into spring, an all new lineup of essential box of awesome collections for guys, guaranteed to upgrade your life. Um, whether it showcase play, uh, whether it showcase pieces to level up your indoor hosting skills. Or cozy threads for those blustery days. Bespoke Post only sends, guys, the best stuff every month, no matter what you're into. Box of Awesome has you covered from style and grooming goods to barware, cooking tools, and outdoor gear. Box of Awesome has awesome collections for every part of your life. So, Felix, what has been your favorite thing from Box of Awesome so far? That is from, a, from Bespoke Post. That is a great question. So, I actually got some awesome Bluetooth wireless earbuds that are they may remind you of AirPods a little bit, and I've been using those for my workouts. They have great sound quality. Um, they stay they stay in my ears when I'm working out, which, believe it or not, is not true for every headphone out there. So I appreciate that. Thank you, Bespoke Post. And I have the travel bag, which I understand you have as well. And I've been using that when I'm moving around. If I need to just throw stuff into a bag and get on the road, it's very, very... Um, it looks classy. Like it makes me look better. It makes me look like I'm I'm actually going somewhere important as opposed to usually just filling up like a backpack or something. I, I look I look more put together. I look more polished. And that's all because of Bespoke Post. Yeah. And and looking at kind of the different box that they have available on uh their website, the one that I I'm legitimately just tempted to buy this thing straight up. Uh is <laughs> I mean, have either of you had a smoked to- cocktail before? I think, Felix, we discussed this last time. You have not. CJ, have you had a smoked cocktail? Yeah, I have. They are delicious, aren't they? Oh, yeah. Smoked cocktails are great. So they have a cocktail smoking kit that they give you the the uh, the uh, the lighter to, to go with it, the hickory things and a little, like, glass thing that goes on top of it. So you basically light it all, put the glass on top of it, and it will smoke your cocktail all inside of it. I am legitimately tempted to just get this. They're not doing anything to make me say this. This is just something I want to get. But so to get started, though, everyone, take the quiz at boxofawesome.com. Your answers will help them pick the right box of awesome for you. They release new boxes every month across a ton of different categories. It's free to sign up and you can skip a month or cancel any time. Each box costs only 45 bucks, but has over $70 worth of gear inside. So you can get 20% off your first monthly box when you sign up at boxofawesome.com and enter the code CTP at checkout. That's boxofawesome.com, code CTP for 20% off your first box. So thank you so much, Bespoke Post, for that. So back to your vendetta against Yanni wow. Hockenbach. Just going right back at it. Yeah, we're, we're, we're not wasting any time here. All right. I, I, so- I, will, I will say this just before you go. I want to give the people the facts because I feel like you're going to give your view, 
which what? What? We, what? we don't we don't what? know how factual it'll be. Um, I just want to point out that Yanni Hockenpah has basic. The only thing he's really been good at this season has been suppressing shot quality against and shot volume against. And but he's a he's a complete drag on this team's offensive production generation when he's out there to the point where it kind of just negates any sort of defensive upside that he brings so that is at least my view that's the statistical view and i also feel like those defensive uh gifts that he has that upside that he's shown has kind of been fading recently as well and ding 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 there it is go ahead cj yeah, you know, I was defending Hawk and Paw a little bit a couple weeks ago. You were, and, and, you were. And, 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 I, I believe, hold on, hold on, hold on. I, <laughs> Uh-oh. I, I, <laughs> Did Felix bring receipts? I, I, I'm, I'm very, I'm feeling petty today. Um, oh boy. You are the one You're who gonna said. You're going to misrepresent what I'm saying. I, I, I feel it. No, no, I always, I always represent fairly. <laughs> um, <laughs> you said that he could play on the power play. Is that fair to say? I said that he could probably play a, on the second unit power play. So in essence, you're ago. saying he can play on the power play. That's what that two means. weeks ago. Yeah, I don't believe that anymore. <laughs> okay, okay, we've we, we've shamed you out of that take. Yes, uh, yeah, I'm it was sure all you. I'm pretty sure we shamed. I don't watch the games. I'm just on my laptop looking at spreadsheets all day. I'm I'm pretty sure we shamed you out of that pretty quickly, actually, CJ. Oh. No, okay. Well, so well, what, I, beca- what I will it's say because you were trying to defend another podcast who said that. I think that's that's that that's, was that's you were you were being you were being kind. Yeah, exactly. You I, were being the great being person kind. that you are. That's what it was. Let's put it this way: the power play take was defending a little bit. Now, Hawk and Pop belonging in the NHL. I was serious about that. And at one point he was leading the ducks in goals above replacement right now. He was never great offensively, but like up until two weeks ago, he was about break even replacement level offensively and solid defensively, which led to his pretty good numbers. The last two weeks though, have been awful for Hawk and And I feel for him, you know, I, I want him to succeed. I think a lot of people want him to succeed. Um, uh, oh, he's ducks, a guy the, who hasn't the been the broadcast. End. Definitely, oh, 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 oh. The ducks broadcast. Oh my god! Johnny um, Hockenpah fan club over there. You'd think he's the next Pronger. Or so you'd think he was like the Finnish Pronger, according <laughs> the to the broadcast. Is, the thing is that, that narrative is coming from the Ducks, which is which gets parroted by the broadcast. So, exactly. And yeah. and so I think that Hockenpah just had a really, really rough two weeks. I don't think anybody's really surprised on that, but I think it is at a point now where if you do have uh, a Lindholm or a uh, Manson come back, well, Lindholm's not coming back anytime soon, but mm-hmm. Manson reportedly will be coming back here fairly shortly. He's got to be the odd man out, even amongst Larson. You know, I know Larson we've talked about him and I know you guys have talked about him to death, but Hawk and Pa, it, I, I think it's time to kind of move on from that. Well, Here's... no, no, hold on, hold on again. Wait. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to interject well, here. I like how this was my vendetta and I haven't actually said a word about Hawk and Pa yet. We're, we're I, blocking I, you. I'm coming on. I'm cutting you off. We're, we're, we're basically just filibustering so that Jake will never <laughs> actually get to say, we're going to get to an hour and Jake will still not have said. You, you, you were the one who claimed vendetta and are I not just, letting. I just want to say, I just, <laughs> Before you go, I just want to say that I would still keep Hawk and Pond in the lineup over Larson. Yeah, okay. the, the the only thing with Larson is he's left-handed, so the main cons- it I doesn't mean- matter. A, a right-handed, like anyone <laughs> would be better fair, than Jacob. Larson. Fair, Remember, fair. playing the side is overrated. Fair. Yes. 
Well, here here's my slight concern before I get to the Hawk and Paw conversation is that the Ducks are going to have Manson come back and they're going to take Drysdale out because Hawk and Paw is staying in the lineup and Larson and Larson. Well, Drysdale's going side. back to the OHL. Like Ugh. that's that's a they, given. They shouldn't do that. Uh, but he, 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 no, he shouldn't no. go back. No, yeah. there's no reason. Oh, yeah. but they all see. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, yeah. What yeah, was yeah. that, Felix? <laughs> yeah. That was, that was, like that, 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 was that was his attempt at an old hockey man. But uh, yeah, real quick, I haven't said this on the main show yet, but years of service. Basically, Drysdale cannot play enough games for this to count as one year for towards his seven for UFA status. But back to Hawk and Paw. The main issue for Hawk and Paw, someone actually mentioned this to me on Twitter, I think it was yesterday, and I think it's a fair point, that a lot of these guys, like a Yanni Hawk and Paw, he has never played a full NHL season. And so he may have looked good in the first 20 games, but we haven't, and this is why we want to have a sample size because he may burn out over time with the competition and and playing the amount of games that come in an NHL season. And I think that's partially what we're seeing with his defensive side of the game. He was able to to have a good 20 games, but I think maybe just the the level of play, he's not up for it. And we aren't able to see him consistently do that as we're moving forward. And that, and looking at the numbers, I mean, from the last two games, I know this because I had put it together in the, the takeaways article that that's going to be coming out tomorrow. Um, but he was the worst player, worst defenseman on the Ducks and expected goals against per 60 in, in the last two games and had some major flubs that caused goals against. And it wasn't just those major flubs. There were a bunch of them outside of that. And so if he's a guy where all he's going to be doing or all he's out there for is defensive work because he doesn't give you anything offensively and almost negates all of his uh, defensive uh, positive, positive play, if he's allowing the most expected goals against uh, when he's on the ice, then something's off there and and there's something going the wrong way. So if that can rebound, let's say that, and, and come back to, to the norm where he was previously, where essentially he's replacement level, I think that's valuable as a sixth defenseman, even if he's playing on his offside on the left side or if they have someone else playing on their offside as a result of that. Um, but I, I think the, the concept of, of people saying he's a top four defenseman, he's this nice surprise, he's a guy the Ducks need to look to resign, uh, I think that these last two, two games, two what? to three, two to three million. Oh, the, the these last two games have shown that that isn't necessarily the case, and, and I think that we will, we probably are going to see a little bit more of this as we go down the the home stretch here. Yeah, so I, I think that with it, it, was that enough for the vendetta? I mean, that was actually more level headed than I expected. I'm, I'm kind of disappointed to be honest. I'm, I am usually level headed. I will say. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I was just going to say that, I, you know, you, you've had a couple of rants in the last couple of weeks, and I, I thought that maybe this was going to be another rant no, opportunity. No rant. No well, rant. Every once in a while, Jake likes to surprise us. I, I got like to let loose sometimes. I feel like know? there is a broader discussion to be had about the blue line that we might just not have time for here because we still have another game to talk about. Um, I will say, though, that, you know, there are – I think Mahura should be in the lineup. I think that I know, I know he has struggled a little bit as of late, but he is still, he like Josh Mahura on his worst day is at worst. Jacob Larson, like, like he, there's no way he's worse than Jacob Larson is what I'm trying to say. And so why Larson is just untouchable in the lineup. Whereas Mahura basically has a couple bad games and he goes back to the AHL. That is the part that I don't understand. And this, and I mean, in a way, I mean, Dallas Aiken's loyalty to guys like Jacob Larson and Derek Grant is part of the reason why he's probably not going to be back as Ducks coach, whether it's next season or the season after. Like, 
like th- these these are the guys that are sinking this this team because you're just getting absolutely no value from those minutes whatsoever. Here's here's something I will say on playing those guys. And this isn't really defending Eakins per se, but I think it's contextualizing these decisions a little bit. Almost every single NHL coach has these pylons that they stick to. Eakins isn't any like worse, I would say, in terms of playing these guys who are clearly bad, who we trust way more than he should. I think every single coach has that to an extent. Like even Boudreau when he was here, as much as we all love Boudreau, Boudreau did the same thing with a lot of like Boudreau did that with Nate Thompson constantly. Um, but at the same time, that's not an excuse for it. Like we should be demanding better. Well, out the, of our well, the thing is, it's it's dem- it's visibly not working. Uh, also, also, it's, I, no, it, and you're right. It's visibly not working. All I'm yeah. saying is that, like, look, Eakins isn't necessarily the black sheep of the coaching staff because he's doing this. The coaching no, staff, is. and he there's is. so many issues. <laughs> there's so many issues with the way coaching and player deployment is done in the NHL. I think most of us agree with that. I'm just kind of contextualizing that. Hey, yeah. he's not much different than a whole lot of our coaches. That being said, though, we can demand better of him. I mean, yes. Nate, Nate Thompson is a, a little bit of a different player than Derek Grant. Also, I would argue that when he was on the Ducks, he was a better player that had yes. uh, uh, had more well, of a contribution to the Ducks than Derek Grant, da- Derek Grant has to the Ducks. And I think that that, yeah. w- ha- that has been kind of shown when you go back and look at numbers. And even if you look at the lineup construction under Boudreaux, I mean, Nate Thompson wasn't necessarily on the fourth line. The fourth line ha- had guys like Ricard Raquel at times. It had guys like Emerson Edom at times. It had guys like Yuri Sekach. And so it's not as if that he was set to this construction of a fourth line having to be, as Dallas Akins has said, his grind line. That's the thing with Akins is that he has had little, he just hasn't shown any adaptability. Like he, he's really married to this, to this view of the roster where you have to have a fourth line grind line, like Jake just said, and you have to have Jacob Larson on the roster. Like, like, like those are the things that he's stuck with. And, like the games where he's gone away from that a little bit, the Ducks have looked better, shockingly, um, and 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 including that that night. I mean, if you look at the the lineup that line that that night, I mean, sure, you know, Grant and Delorier were both in, but at least you had Heinen on that line, or I mean, you, at least you didn't have a full on just dud of a fourth line. So I don't know, I don't know. Anyway, we 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 need to move on from this topic though. Let's talk about last night's game. So. Another clunker from the Anaheim Ducks this season. Uh, they lose 5-1 to one to the Arizona Coyotes in a game that, I'm going to be honest, never felt super-duper competitive. Am I wrong on that? Do we need to have a conversation about uh, Ryan Miller? Well, so that is the thing I do want to mention, is I think that the mm-hmm. Ducks didn't start that terribly. I mean, and again, this is all contextual, right? This is all in the grading them on their own curve, which uh, is not a good one. They didn't, they didn't get that handily outplayed. They were outchanced, but it was three to two. Uh, shot attempts were sixteen twelve in favor of Arizona in the first period. The, the margin was pretty thin the entire way through, and they were let down a by some defensive blunders uh, from from Jake's boy y- Yanni Hockenpah, and also. Just Ryan Miller is not good this season. Like he's more than not good. He's he's awful this season. And I feel bad because um by all accounts he's an awesome teammate. Uh he's been a great goalie his entire career. There's an argument for the Hall of Fame there, but he's just objectively been not good this season, and that is concerning. Yeah, and I think we're really at the point here where 
given last season, I think I was totally for the decision to to sign him for one more year, especially given the Ducks' backup goalie situation. You had Stolarz, who has had you know not great success up at the NHL and hadn't even been consistent up there. And and while you're in a transitionary period, you know maybe you'd want Miller to go on one more time. But I think it's pretty clear that he's hit the age wall. Um, I think it's pretty clear that he's just, he no longer really has it in him to play at an NHL level anymore. I, I think he's great in the room and he brings other benefits that way. But on the ice, he is no longer even a break even value effect on the Ducks. I, it's, 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 it's pretty clear that this, this probably has to be it for him. Well, the weird thing is that I don't even understand what happened because you could, you could say, yeah, it's because of age, but. Ryan Miller's been really good throughout his 30s. Like, like it's not as if th- there was like a buildup to this. Now he was declining. Like he has declined a little bit in the last couple seasons, but he's never just been flat out awful. And so this is kind of a new thing. And you know, goalies don't really age. Like goalie aging is weird. It's not really comparable to skater aging because you you can't say you can't point to like oh the guy got slower or. You know, he's he can't keep up with the pace of the game. Like with Miller, I have a random take that maybe doesn't make any sense. But I think part of what's plaguing him this season is I think he's changed something in, in his style. Like he he looks a lot more like he's really aggressive. He comes out really far and he, he, he looks off his angle like all the time on straight on shots. And I also think he's gotten a smaller chest protector. Like maybe it's just me, but he looks smaller in the net. Like if you compare pictures of him from this year to previous years, he used to look bigger. Like he has, I'm pretty sure he has a new chest protector. We, and I don't know to, I don't know to what degree. Felix, what that if he's in it. the best shape of his life though? Well, yeah, they always are, you know. But but <laughs> but I think whatever changes he made to his equipment, like I actually think he should go back to what he had we, before. And this stuff me- matters for goalies, by the way. We we should mention we haven't mentioned this yet actually on the show. John Gibson was put on IR. Um, yeah. This week, going into the Colorado game, uh, mm-hmm. Anthony Stollers was called up on emergency conditions, which led to me kind of realizing the fact that uh, John Gibson was probably hurt, and so he was put on he was put on IR, yeah, and... which is uh, which is awesome, right? It's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's not as if uh, it was avoidable at all to just run John Gibson into the ground yet again, was it? You know, it's Defin- so funny definitely that... not advisable. Yeah, it's so funny. Well, not funny. It's actually sad. It makes me want to cry. I don't know why I said that. Bob Murray, a couple of years ago, after, um, what was it? I think it was after uh, Carlisle got fired and Murray took over behind the bench. The the exit interviews on the season. Bob Murray made the quote, good goaltending covers up a lot of the crap. Right? And he's absolutely right. But... When he like he he tells the fan base that, and this again goes back to my whole thing of fifty percent of the things that come out of a general manager's mouth are terrible or are lies. That they clearly either don't care or they don't have a plan to try and limit Gibson's workload, to try yeah. and round things out better, to try and make it so that they're not necessarily giving him a horrible workload. And I think part of that comes to the fact that Murray. I think rightfully understands that goaltending is the biggest strength of this team, that John Gibson is probably the best player on this team, even if he hasn't been as good as he was a couple years ago. But at the same time, like he he's so obsessed with trying to win, with trying to be competitive, that he has no choice but to go back on his yeah, work well, and basically ride well, Gibson into the ground, and he's backed himself into a corner. Well, that's what I don't understand, though, is that 
okay, yes, you want to win, but part of what allows you to win is a rested and healthy John Gibson, right? Like you saw how great and out of this world good John Gibson was to start the year. And part of that was because he had a year off the year, like he had almost an entire year off to just, you know, heal, uh, you know, work some things out. Right. Like, and so that's him at his very best. And wouldn't you want to have that John Gibson all the time? And so I'm just wondering, and to your point about there not being a plan, I think that's a great point because who's, who's calling the shots here? Like, is it, is it John Gibson who just so desperately wants to play every game and no one is able to tell him no is it Dallas Akins who, um, you know, doesn't have a plan there or, or is just unwilling to play Ryan Miller? Is it just Bob Murray? Like, who is like who is to blame here? I am very curious, like, because we don't really know, right? There's not a way of knowing uh, who who's calling that shot. But it's just frustrating because, like, John Gibson is, is this team's premium asset. And if you can't find a way to maximize him in his prime, then you're doing your, your team a disservice. I mean... Look, every team around the league, I mean, I think that you are seeing a shift to tandems and you are seeing a shift to finding ways to keep a goalie, a starting goalie as fresh as possible. And look, I don't know. I mean, I know that people are really high on on Siddarshan uh, Maharaj, but I I think they they either need a new goalie coach or they need additional goalie coaches because he whatever he's coaching up these guys like Miller has fallen off a cliff. And Gibson kind of fell off a cliff before he got hurt. So I think that there has to be a new voice there as well. Potentially. Um, one thing that I do want to mention on this is that I, I think that what the Ducks really need to be looking to do with, with all of this situation right now is, I mean, I think we can all agree that Ryan Miller looks like he's done. Like, if not mid well, midway through this season, then he's I, done after this season. Like I, I he, hate to he, say that he's done because he was good as of a year ago. He was right. he was okay as a well. Year he was ago. he was like you you could defensively start him. Yes, right? but he but he's he, I mean age comes for us all, and he's forty years old now. Yes, it, but the it, thing he was old the, the year before. Yeah, like but, what? But, they, they're, they're, but every year is every every year it, yeah. it adds to that that ability. Yeah. It adds to that downturn. It adds to that aging curve. Like it it it, it starts to go down and down. And there's there's a certain point in time where there's just a point of no return for these guys with age. And okay. I, I think that that may be what we're seeing with Ryan Miller. And I think has, where- his numbers have taken a steady decline like yes. that, that you could say, because in 1920 like- he was just below break even in GSAX. So mm-hmm. sure. But, but he's just been unbelievably bad this yep. year. Anyway. Yep. And, and anyway. so the, the <laughs> go ahead, CJ. And, and, and like I'll say too, that kind of happened with like, remember that kind of happened with Timu a little bit near the end of his career, mm-hmm. right? Like he played the short season, scored 24 points in 46 games, which is what that's good for, you know, 50 points or so still pretty good or whatever, but he, but then the next season he fell off a cliff to 27 points. I think he's missed some time with injury. And at a certain point, if you play long enough, if you have that distinguished enough of a career and you keep going, you either retire on top, kind of like Scott Niedermeyer did, you know, you, you you retire before that cliff comes for you, or at some point the cliff comes well, for you. That happened with Jagger or with we, Yarmy Yager, right? He's still playing. So it, it, it could, he's, he's still playing. Still playing. He playing is, but no, 49. I'm talking about at the I, NHL I know. level. At the NHL level, Yager hit the cliff, and so well, it's not out of the realm of possibility that that's exactly what's happened with Miller. I do think Felix that you do have a point that he's off his angle. That's something stylistically. I, I think that all factors into it, but I also think that age is also a huge like, part. Does of it. being older make him 
less able to stop straight on shots is my question. No, I mean, it, 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 it affects your read and reaction time. Yeah, but anyway, anyway. But I, here, here I, w- I was going somewhere with it. So this is where I was okay. going. Um, I, I think we can agree that, that Ryan Miller is probably done after this year. Well, yeah, so, so regardless so, of regardless of whether we agree or disagree on like the why he's bad, the fact is that he is, and he's a free agent, and it's just unlikely the Ducks are going to re-sign him. So the Ducks need to, I think, at this point, see what they have in Anthony Stolarz. Yes, the, and, that, and, and that is the baffling thing for me, is that, you know, Dallas Aikens made a comment during the week that, that Stolarz wasn't going to get into the rotation, and this was pre-Gibson injury, but why why is that? Why is it that you cannot play this guy? You sign him as a free agent. Don't you want to find out what you have because he's he could be your backup next season, especially given how bad uh, Miller has been? Now, it doesn't help that I think Stolarz let in the first shot he faced on Saturday night, but... You know, after that he was fine though. Honestly, but he was he looked fine. And and yeah. the thing is for him, like think about like the kind of season he's had. He hasn't played anywhere, and and he's he's been getting all of his reps, you know, in practice. So yeah, that first start could have been. I mean, was kind of expectedly shaky at least in the first couple minutes, but he really settled in after that. Yeah, I think and- this kind of lends. I think this lends credence to my whole point that I don't think the Ducks truly have a plan outside of Miller or Gibson for, for I their think- goalies. Yeah. For, for, for their goalies. Like, I think they signed Stolarz to be the San Diego guy, right? Yeah. To be the San Diego guy or to split time with Dostal down there and for possibly him to come up as on an emergency basis and not taxi, give the, him the, any... The, the three-goalie rule really screwed that up for them, I think. I, he, and I would agree. I, I, I would agree with that. But at the same time, again... You know, they're at a point now where I think they just pinned all their hopes on Gibson and Miller. And given Miller's age and Gibson's history, potentially with being injured, and not even just the injury history, just his sheer workload over the last few years, I don't, I, I'm with you guys. I don't understand why they don't do it, but my guess is that they just didn't have a plan and they're so married to the idea of Gibson and Miller. Well, well what's confusing to me is also that, and this is something that we get asked about a lot as well with Cody Curran, is that like you signed this guy to a two-year deal, right? They signed, they, they extended Stolars for two years and it's like, don't you want to use him at some point? Like, why did you sign this contract? Uh, it's, a, it's a one-way deal. Like, he he's... He's an NHL like player essentially, um, and it's the same thing with Cody Curran. You sign him to a two-year deal, one million a year, and he's just going to rot on the taxi squad all year or or in the AHL. Like it, it just feels like why were these moves even made then? Just or was it just to to reach the roster limit? I I don't even yeah I, I don't I don't totally get it. And I think that maybe these moves were just made kind of because of COVID and and with the weird season and you want to have as many bodies as possible. This and that, but. They signed Curran from Sweden. Like they, they, they had a move from the other side of the world uh, to come over here, and I, I'm, I'm just, I'm wondering if we'll ever see him in, in the lineup. Yeah, and, I, and th- that's the thing. Like the, he was the SHL MVP. Like yeah. it wasn't even yeah. some like scrub yeah, from point, the a- SHL. It was a star. Like, like the when, SHL. They, w- when they signed him, I figured he was probably going to play a little bit in the AHL and then you know work his way up to the NHL because yeah. that's. That that felt like the trajectory. And look, we we have no idea how good he is at this point. And I'm not saying that he will be good. I'm not like this. Big I, I'm not shot. the one. I'm not. I'm not the one driving the bus there. But my point is, big moaming shot. Look, like Jacob Larson has played his way out of a job. Find out what you have in current. Like that's what the rest of the season should be about. Find out what you have in these mm-hmm. players. 
find out who's staying, who's not for the following years. Job battles. Felix, Felix, you're absolutely right. And I think this whole conversation that we're having highlights the biggest issue that we and Ducks fans have with this team right now is that they're there's very little logic going on with a lot of, or at least logic that we can understand going on with these roster construction. Yeah. It's it's secret logic. It's secret logic, but like there's no communication with the fan base. There's no apparent logical rhyme or reason that we can figure out. And we're basically just kind of being left to dangle out in the dark here to try and find like, what are they trying to do? Are they trying to compete? Are they going to give up on the Like, what is happening here? They don't have to come out and say, yo, guys, yeah. we suck. We're going to start tanking. Like, you don't do that. But you do, again, you do this thing where you say, hey, you know what? We're not where we want to be. We want to focus on developing of our future and, and committing to our future so we can get back to being a hockey team. So there are going to be some changes. That's not a difficult thing to say. That's not a difficult strategy to put it behind there. Yeah. But if the only possible strategy that any of us can really ever come up with for any of these moves is that the Ducks are a win now team because that's the only thing that the that we know um, about them that we know of publicly, right? And yeah. so I think that's just why so many people are so upset. Why so many people are just kind of done with this team at the at this current point of time is that nobody can understand what's going on. Yeah, and and you know, like the Twitter eggs will tell you, oh, you just you just don't understand. You know, something's happened that, that you just neither you do just they. You, you, yeah, <laughs> you know, like does does Bob Murray like payroll these Twitter eggs these that eggs come at to me? come at to come after you specifically? Like Bob, I get it. Bob Murray spent a lot of money on a bot farm, and damn it, he's gonna get his money's <laughs> yeah. worth. Like like, where are these people coming from? Uh. Like, who are they? Are they team employees that are? I mean, I know. I mean, I don't know how much I should say about this but like i have i have identified burners before you definitely you 100 have of, of team have, of, yeah. of team employees like i have confirmed yep. them so it's not out of the question um mm-hmm. but i, I do want to say uh to, cl- to, to close out this game, oh yeah I, mean, I, I i do i do want to say this because we're talking we've been talking about the blue line a lot and people are kind of have been asking about it like kevin shattenkirk has not been that good this season i i think it's getting to that point where we should at least kind of let that into the narrative a little bit like he's been bad defensively he's been yes i think defensively yes he's been bad defensively he hasn't been good on the power play he has been good at driving offense but his defensive woes do take away from that quite a bit i would say they do he's he's still above break even overall yes yes but he's still like a positive value player but it is kind of marginal at this point I, I don't think it's marginal. I think he does impact play in a positive way for the Ducks and does make the team better when he's on the ice from an offensive perspective. I think you are correct. His defensive play, and I think part of that is also, I think it was better when he was with Hampus Lindholm as compared to trying to uh, elevate some younger guys. I mean, Josh that's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, Hampus Lindholm is one of the best defensive defensemen I think the Ducks have. And so that that's really why. But well, I, I just feel like, you know, a lot of people have said all season long that they are frustrated with him. And I think that there was a point in time where that was like unfair to say that. But I think you can only see something happen so many times before there has to be like some credence to it. Right. And the fact that he takes all those penalties, the penalties are an issue. The, 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 fact, that he, the, the fact that he gets caught in open eyes so often, like it, it is, I, I think it's fair to say now that there, that there is a bit of an issue there. Now, like you said, he's still a positive ad. His contract is not prohibitive. Um, he's not this albatross, but 
you know, I think we have to be honest here with how he's played. No, that that's fair. And I think that I think if you want to criticize him defensively, I think for sure there are issues there. I think my only kind of pushback to you on that is I think some of the narrative about him is I think a bit overblown with him being this yes. awful ad and the worst player on the team mm-hmm. and the fact that there's there's people saying that yeah. he should be put on the taxi squad. I, I mean, to me personally, he's been better for the Ducks overall than Yanni Hockenbaugh has. Oh, it, oh, well, him, but, but that's a low bar. <laughs> fair. <laughs> Fair, Hawk and Paws a DH. But I, I think, I think, kind of how you're discussing Kevin Shattenkirk is in a way. I mean, maybe I'm underselling how good I, he's been offensively. I yes, because it, it it also depends where you look, because like some models will will be much higher on him uh, offensively than others will. Like if you compare evolving hockey to to top down hockey, um, top down is a lot higher on him than evolving hockey is from a evolving, evolving hockey. Be- evolving hockey doesn't necessarily negate out shooting as part of it. So if there's a negative shooting impact on him, that is yeah. in, involved in the even yeah. strength. The top down does correct for shooting more. Mm-hmm. And I think that he does look a lot better when yeah. you factor that in. Yeah. But he's yeah, still bad of, defensively in both. <laughs> and just because I'll, I'll, I have it up here, I do have the guard tables, the goals above replacement tables on evolving hockey right now. Kevin Shattenkirk currently ranks ninth on the ducks in total guard. Uh, with 0.6 goals above replacement. So he's not much better than replacement, but he is positive. Um, and it's actually kind of funny looking at this stuff. Like he's got it easily the best part of his whole guard component is the even strength offensive component, but he's actually not that great. It's only 1.5 um, goals yeah. above replacement on the even strength yeah. offense. So he's been, he's been solid offensively, but uh, nothing really yeah, spectacular. But I, I do think evolving hockey does underrate him a little bit offensively. I would agree with that. Yeah, I yeah. would agree. But uh, I, yeah. So, so I, any, anything yeah. else on last night's game? Because that's, that's what we, were um, talking about we should here. talk about the goal because the, the goal is a really, really nice play for the ducks. Uh, yeah. In Troy, this, Troy in this Terry game. is very good. Troy Terry with a fan, mm-hmm. absolutely fantastic defensive play in his own zone to, to, to stick lift uh, the Coyotes for or Coyotes player, get the puck, move it up the ice, pass it up to, I believe it was Cam Fowler who dished it to Trevor Zegras, who is able to make a fantastic little backhand feed to, to Troy Terry, who's able to feed it across the net, and Adam Henrique is going to bury it. Um, so just a really nice transition play, and I think it highlights a lot of kind of the way the Ducks should be looking to play. I mean, it, it was highlighting essentially being this more transition tile, style of team, especially with those three on the ice. I mean, that's where Zegras and, and Terry thrive. And Terry started the whole thing, and it showed how you can be good defensively. I mean, we talked about this in our, our little in our uh, text messages, but how you can be good defensively without necessarily being a big physical guy. A lot of people still get into my mentions on Troy Terry saying he's small, he's not going to survive in the league because he's smaller, he doesn't play physical enough. Eric Stevens even, I think, in his uh, real time had mentioned he'd like to see Troy Terry get bigger. He's still too small. It's like he's 23 years old. There's only a certain amount of size. He's going to add on as, as a professional yeah, athlete. Troy Terry isn't small. Like if you, if you see him like in person, he's, he's got some muscle on him. Like he's, well, not what, he's, six, he's six foot flat. Like he's not, you know, he's not huge, but he's not tiny either. I just yeah. feel like he's, he's as strong as he needs to be. And yeah, sure. He could, he could benefit from being a little stronger, but I think he's, he's really good at defending, uh, like when he has the puck, he's good at fending off uh, defenders. He's he's good on his edges. He's strong. He's stable. Um, yeah, I just the narratives around Terry always confuse me because I just think people have this view of what he should be, and because he doesn't meet those, we are basically just going to reverse justify and look for the holes in his game. Like I'm not saying he's a perfect player. 
I think he's great, but I don't think he's a perfect player. And I, I think part of what drives the perception on him is that he has the puck a lot. Like when he is out there, the Ducks tend to possess the puck. And guys who possess the puck will also turn it over more than guys who don't. They are exposing themselves to more, you know, quote unquote mistakes because of that fact. And so that because you see that happen more often, you might be led to the conclusion that, oh, this guy is a turnover machine or that he he's he he lacks confidence. You know, that's another one you hear about him when it in fact those things are happening because the rest of his process is so solid that he's getting those opportunities, getting more I, bites at the apple. I hate the turnover stat there because you want to yeah. know who leads the who is among the like top five in turnovers. Lay, every lay it on year. me. Lay it on me. Connor McDavid. Connor McDavid <laughs> is always near the top yeah. of the turnover leaderboard. Yeah, what's going on with Connor McDavid? Nathan confidence. McKinnon's. Nathan yeah. McKinnon is at the top of a lot of these player boards. I, I hate this. It's like for those of you who are in baseball, right? Like if you look at the all-time ground into double play leaderboards in baseball, it's a lot of these legends like Babe Ruth and, and Lou Gehrig and Albert Pujols and stuff like that. And it's only because they get so many opportunities to hit with runners on base. They ground into that. Same thing with hockey. If you're giving the way of the puck a lot, it's because you have the puck a lot. And so it's kind of a misleading stat. By the way, I did just want to say, guess who's leading the Ducks in goals above replacement at the current moment? Troy Terry. Yep, with 4.3. <laughs> he is uh, he is um, uh, second place is Ricard Raquel at 3.7. Terry has been very good lately. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he has been. And uh, CJ with the baseball reference, that's that's why we bring him on. On brand. We, we, we Cross don't, sport. We don't, we don't get enough baseball references in Shohei here. Shohei Otani is just making me feel tingly feelings. I'm 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 in that mode right now. Hey. Is, he the, is he the best player in baseball? Is it too early um, for that? Still Who, too early. Mike Trout better? still has that. Tatis? Oh, Mike Trout, yeah. I don't know Mike anything Trout. about baseball. You definitely don't. <laughs> yeah, we, know we, we, about we we know this. Um <laughs> but yeah, so did so just, that play- I just out myself as a as a baseball idiot. Uh, 100%. Uh-oh. Real, but on this play also, obviously, we just talked about how great Troy Terry is. Trevor Zegers with the absolutely beautiful feed, though, uh, little backhand no look pass to to set up Terry. And I mean, this is what Trevor Zegers can do. I mean, he has the playmaking ability. I kind of had wondered. It, it seemed like he was. I don't know if gripping his stick is the right way to put it, but he wanted to get that first goal so badly, right? And so I was wondering if once he got that first goal, if we were going to see him essentially setting up more guys on the rush uh, than he was previously. And I think he was still doing it. Maybe this is me overblowing this narrative that I'm coming up in my, yeah, in I don't, my head. I don't think that he was really gunning for his first goal. Like he he doesn't even really shoot the puck that much. True. No. Yeah, Fair I enough. Think, I think you're then, off there. Um, never mind. <laughs> I'll back out. off it. I'll back off it completely. I, I I wasn't that like hot on it, but I was I was I was I was thinking it out as I was going along, guys. Thinking it as I was going along. Jake, Jake, okay. can, that, that Jake can be talked down. It is actually interesting. It is very it is very possible. <laughs> um yeah, well so we're about an hour and twenty minutes into this, so I think we should just go into some questions to uh start wrapping things up a little bit. Yeah, so for anyone out there watching the recorded version of the show on YouTube, yes, we're on YouTube. Check us out at youtube.com slash crash the pond if you want to help us out. One thing we're trying to do more is get more subscribers on YouTube. I see all the views and I see that uh, we have more viewers than we do have subscribers on YouTube. So if you're watching the show and enjoy it there, 
hit that subscribe button. Hit that bell if you want to get notified when the videos go up. They'll go up the night of uh, after we are done recording uh, this on Twitch. Um, and then obviously your favorite podcast services. But the real fun thing is our Twitch stream. We go to we do it live each and every Sunday at 8 p.m. and do Twitch at twitch.tv slash crash the pond. And if you want to help support the show in a way that is completely free you have, if you have Amazon Prime or if you don't, you can still support the show by subscribing. Just like Literate Gal, our good friend Bonnie did, uh, resub for 30 months in a row. Yes. Shouts to Bonnie. Shouts to Bonnie. Bonnie this pump for Bonnie. And then also Odog81 uh, had subscribed also, and this is their first time subscribing. So thank you so much. And yes, uh, you do have to hit that subscribe button after 30 days um, to, to stay subscribed. And there is there is another perk now of subscribing to us on Twitch. Oh, we will do uh we'll do some Twitch Call of Duty stream. CJ yeah. will CJ will be joining us soon. I if you, I if you want to hear me scream and rage and curse uh because I'm terrible at the at the game. If you want to see me suck at something. So, here here's the thing. Of this podcast, uh, here, I recommend it. Here's the thing. I got to get CJ up to speed so that he's better than you so it's funnier. Oh, he's probably already better than me. That's like, fair. This, this is a very the, like I've I am the, playing a little bit. I am the I I'm am not the good, Sam but Steel. I'm not bad either. I am the Sam Steele, Jacob Larson, Derek no, Grant of yeah, our team. Oh, yeah, no. we, we established oh, that you no. were Derek Grant on the last stream. Yeah, the, yeah, like the, that the, is my role. The, the I, best, I, I bleed, I bleed shot attempts against the the <laughs> best the best moment that happened on that stream was I somehow some way bought you back with guys all around me, and I'm running and I'm in the middle of a field and I. And I clipped it and threw it onto Twitter, and it's clipped on our Twitch. So please go watch it if you're if you want to find it. And you just hear Felix saying, "I'm coming in hot," and then you can legitimately on screen see his body just come down without pulling shoot and just hit the ground. And he's like, "Shit!" <laughs> and I have to go res him. Yeah, it, it, it's a great moment. It's a great moment. Yeah, I mean, I, I am <sighs> like Derek Grant because I'll run out into the field and we start getting shot at. So there's my there's my shot well, attempt against. Just and going, you going and you fire you fire at other people so that they can fire a bunch back. Just like taking one shot attempt to get a yep. four and then getting a yep. hundred against. This is all just one big analogy to analytics, basically. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> all right, so let's get into <sighs> some questions here. So not real never was says. I don't want to get you guys off topic, but where what do you all make of uh, Craig Custance's piece in the Athletic? So I'm where... surprised we haven't actually talked about this yet. Oh, sorry, <laughs> finish up. We we figured we would get questions about it, honestly. Yeah, yeah. So uh, where an NHL executive mentioned the Lucic and Bennett from Henrique and Milano, that wasn't the deal. I think either of you were thinking I was going to mention, but uh, what do you, like what do you guys make of that? I mean, just uh, let me lay it out there. Let me find find the trade uh, specifically. So here's what it was. Flames send Sam Bennett, Sam Bennett and Milan Lucci to the Ducks for Adam Henrique and Sonny Milano. Basically, this was a really good article by Craig Custance where he took um, some deals from fans, NHL execs, things like that, and then got an NHL executive to weigh in on the deal. And this was actually texted to to Craig Custance from an, by an NHL executive. Um, and for reference, Lucic is owned $5.25 million through the 22-23 season. And Henrique has uh, three more seasons uh, at 5.825 mil. So Lucic is cheaper and I believe is one year shorter than Henrique. And so basically the Ducks would be sending Milano and Henrique and getting Bennett, who is a uh, potentially just a rental and the cheaper guy back. The Ducks could also then flip uh, Sam Bennett in, uh, later for a pick is, is the logic there. So what was your guys' thoughts of that? Yeah, I love that because that's just so like I love the level of detail in this in this thought. Like like this feels really fleshed out. <laughs> yeah. Um I just don't see the Ducks ever doing something like this. Like this is actually sounds 
Like even though it's, the names it's cutting involved, sal- it's cutting salary. Even though the names involved are really unsavory, like the 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 executive does make some kind of an argument there, and I just don't think the Ducks view their moves ever in like two to three steps. Right? They don't view them as okay. We're making this move now to make to be able to make this move after or flip a guy to to then get a pick for him. That's just not how this team seems to operate. And well, so I just don't think the Ducks would do this. Uh, one thing briefly, they, they, they would make this trade and then and then just keep Bennett. Yeah, just, probably. Just, re, just yeah, there's him. no way they flip Bennett. Yeah, yeah. Like that's the funny thing about this. And like with Sonny Milano, I just wouldn't want to include him in that deal because like right now he is dealing with a pretty bad head injury. But I like he's still a guy with potential, and I think giving up on him just to I mean I guess in a way if you if you turn. So this would be Andrew Cogliano for Devin Shore for Sonny Milano. And if you then use Milano to get Bennett, who gets you a first round or like a second round pick, let's just say you're able to get a second for Bennett. Um, So Cogliano for a second is essentially the final outcome there, which wouldn't be terrible. I mean, you know, I'd I'd rather find out. I should should mention that Sam Bennett is an RFA at the end of this, at the end of his deal. And the NHL exec thought, thought he wouldn't be qualified What was the key thing there, which is why mm-hmm. he would become a, a UFA and why it would be essentially a mm-hmm. rental deal. And one other thing brought up in the, the Twitch chat, which I think is a, a good point on this, is Milan Lucic, even though his uh, cap hit is lower, he's also making less money mm-hmm. um, over than his cap hit over the, the next uh, three years. And so he's going to be like making a decent amount less than Adam Henrique will. So, I mean, maybe that is simply it. It's, it's shedding money. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, so it, it could definitely be it. Real quick, I as we're talking, biggest... go ahead. Sorry, I was just gonna say, like, if you include Milano in that, like, I get why you include Milano in that deal, but that's just another one of those moves where you're selling low on a guy who still has potential. Yeah, like, I, I don't think any of us are really saying that Sonny Milano is destined to be a top line winger. Does he have skills for that? Potentially, yeah, he could potentially do that, but realistically right now especially considered when he's injured and just given the fact that the coaching staff seems to have no patience for you know again guys who aren't necessarily that great defensively but can shoot the puck it's another one of those trades will it make a lot of difference in the long run to the ducks not really if they get a second round pick out of it then yes if they get our second round pick maybe yeah and and i like how you link that back to cogliano but isolating it just to this to the players involved here, I agree with you. It, it's inconsequential. They could lose Milano. Yeah. They could lose Milano also in the expansion draft. I mean, so. Bennett is better than than Milano right now. The, just the problem to me there is you're flipping Henrique, and I understand his deal is is what it is. But I feel Henrique's like a better player than uh, you're Lucic. still you're 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 moving out the best player in the deal, and you're not really getting any kind of commensurate value in return, which is the issue. And there. that's the thing that I think we have to like remind people is that as much as we talk about wanting to trade Adam Henrique, that's really solely because of his salary. Like Adam Henrique is a good player. He's fine. We yeah. all agree that he 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 he's one of the best players on the decks. That's not saying a ton, but like <laughs> no. he's a solid. He's a solid hockey player. The problem is, is that the Ducks shouldn't be paying his salary for the production that he brings in a time when they should be rebuilding. That's yeah. our part. It's not him on. It's not us bagging on him as a player. And I think you're right, Felix. Is that if you are going to get rid of Henrique, even with that contract, given the value that he brings to this team, 
you should be able to get something more consequential back, preferably. Like Henrique will Henrique will make the Flames a lot better. Well, a lot yeah. might be might be a stretch, but he will make them better. Um, I did want to bring up quickly, just because we didn't get to this, but the the thirty one thoughts bit on Raquel this week. Well, uh, l- let me just really briefly say this. Uh, okay. Also, and also from the article, this isn't a question. And when we get to questions, we'll just blitz through the rest. The rest of them, we'll try to get to as many as we can. But I see there's a lot in there. Twitch chat has been thriving tonight. Thank you everyone for for joining in and tuning in with us. But also, what another trade that was in this was Anaheim Ducks would send Ricard Raquel to the Leafs for a first round pick Timothy Lilligren and Alex Kerfa, and the Ducks would retain 300k to essentially make the salaries completely match between Raquel and Kerfoot. And exec number one said that's a good one. I think Toronto says yes, but it's a no for Anaheim because you have the wrong prospect. People talk a lot about Lilligren. Uh, uh, but Ras- uh, Rasmus Sandin and Nick Robertson, I think if you have Sandin or Robertson, you have a deal. Lilligren is the third of those three. Um, people have concerns on, on Lilligren. I actually got a lot of pushback from Leafs fans today, but I mean, that, that'll that happen when you talk about the, the Maple Leafs. Uh, well, I mean, this, the Leafs th- Nation. this is essentially in line with essentially, with the deal we've talked about. Uh, uh, Robertson or Amirov for, plus a first plus raw, uh, salary dump for Raquel. And I mean, it shows that we're kind of on point with with our evaluation of that deal. Yeah, I mean, I love I love the uh, line from exec number two in this when he says this is reasonable. I don't think it helps Anaheim as much as if they just sought out, sought out a pure yep. futures package. But they have said that they want a player of similar age back in the deal. It's like, yeah, the Ducks are doing this the wrong way. <laughs> like yeah. they're they're going about yeah. this all wrong. Uh, but given their absurd parameters, this makes sense. I mean, I actually think that. At the, I'm at the point where as long as the Ducks get a first-round pick, there isn't really a bad move for Raquel. Um, I do think that if like this would be a little low on the value scale, I, I'm not that high on Lilligren, but I will say that I, I just don't really understand the fixation for that kind of mid-20s player that they want. It, it is a bit confusing. Yeah. I, I, I think that even if you include Lilligren in the deal, Lilligren still has some upside to him, but you're right. There have been some questions and, and some holes in his games that I think have developed recently. But even if you do get him, like when we talked about previously that the minimum that you should be asking for Raquel is a first and like a B plus prospect. I think that first plus Lilligren is that kind of bare minimum. You should get more than that. You should get better than that, especially given Raquel's contract. But if you do get it, you know, if that's the deal, and I don't necessarily think that's going to be the deal, but if that is the deal, then it's certainly not a loss. I think it's a fine deal. You just probably didn't maximize your value. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So Jake, do you want to, I just wanted to bring up the 31 thoughts here. Yeah, Um, go for it. And then we'll, we'll so, move on to so questions. Th- this is what Elliot Freeman wrote this week. Uh, things can always change, but the price is also high for Anaheim's Ricard Raquel. Calgary wouldn't pay it, so meaning there's probably been some discussions there. And I'm not sure there's a match with Toronto. The Ducks, I think, want young players with a little more of an NHL track record for him. In this job, you try to understand the personalities you're dealing with. The one thing I've learned about GM Bob Murray is he can think not ready to do this, not ready to do this, and then decide, okay, I'm ready. Almost catching people by surprise. Let's see where it goes with Raquel. There was another thing about the Ducks, but I just want to quickly say on this one that I just don't get it. I don't understand why this is so hard. Is this just the Ducks kind of trying to float things out to, to drive up the price? Like, I don't know what it is, but this should be like a layup of a trade for the Ducks. Trade Ricard Raquel, get a first-round pick, get a really good prospect, and maybe get a second or, you know, just go for that all futures package 
and just get it over with. I don't understand build, why they build, are making this so es- difficult. Especially after this week, build build around Zegras, build build around Drysdale. Now, now, if this is just the Ducks publicly trying to play hardball with the rest of the league, then that's fine. Like, if like, because of course, you know, they should be trying to get the highest return that they possibly can. I just think that while that is probably what they're doing, they're trying to force this return that just doesn't make sense to me. And that actually makes it harder to execute a deal. I think it's a lot easier to just trade Raquel to another team and not have to worry about getting a roster player back. So I think that understanding how Bob Murray operates is important here. Now, I'm working off of information that's still like two or three years old, and he could be different by now, but... There was somebody, and I'm completely blanking on who it was. There was an insider. It may have been Elliot Friedman. It may have been somebody else who said that Bob Murray is one of the few GMs in the league who still tries to win trades. Like like he tries yeah, to get that. better and, flee- and, and fleece GMs, right? And most of the time, I think now, what you want to do is you, like, if you can take advantage and fleece a GM, sure, that's fantastic, but that shouldn't be your goal. Your goal should be to have a trade that works out that is mutually beneficial for both teams. You see where there's a match and you make the deal, right? If indeed Bob Murray is still of the opinion that he needs to try and win trades, then I think that explains a lot about what they're taking the approach for here with Raquel and with a lot of other deals here. And I think that's a horrible way. And especially in today's NHL, that's how you basically get to a situation where you are now where you don't deal players that you should be dealing. Yeah, and then the second thought here was that I heard the Ducks were asked about Max Jones, but that's a no-go. He's been very good. We will see where things go with talented Troy Terry. So, again, the ambiguity of the reporting around Troy Terry from Elliot Freeman has been interesting because there's never been anything concrete of, well, one t- you know either the team is shopping him or the player wants out. It's just been that something could happen there. And uh, I'm guessing that there's just been some discord between the, the team and the player. Um, I think that it's been ridiculous the way he's been handled. And I'm sure that Terry or his agent or whoever has probably voiced that to the team and it's made its way out. Um, I don't think he's getting traded, though. I don't think the Ducks actually want to trade him. I just think that, and especially now because of how well he's playing, I do find it somewhat interesting that they're just totally unwilling to trade Max Jones. I mean, he's been good this year, arguably the Ducks' best youngster just in terms of driving play. But is he like an untouchable that I'm not? super uh confident about yeah i I don't think jones i i don't think jones should be an untouchable but he's also the kind of guy that i think i would only move at this stage if you got a truly good kind of overpaid deal again he we've talked about this so much that we constantly harp on like the younger players even if they necessarily haven't you know been lighting up the world or anything like that that's not the type of player that you want to be looking to deal right now unless you get a blowaway offer. Yeah. Well, the thing with Jones is he just doesn't really produce offensively. He's just kind of a he's no. just the play driver, and that's fine. Um, yep. Okay, should we get through these questions, though? Yes, let, let's blitz through them. The first, yeah. This one's only going to be for me. Also, by the way, uh, not sure. I think it's really him, but we've got Jay Fresh in our Twitch chat, so shouts to him. Great work, awesome work, very much important to everything we do. So thank you so much. Yeah. 
Um, go support his Patreon also really great work there. Um, so NJ devils fan 68 said, what did you think of the thunder Rosa match from AEW dynamite? So the main event was a lights out match between Britt Baker and thunder Rosa. And Oh boy, was it amazing best match on dynamite. I won't go into it too much, but that match was exactly what you want to see from professional wrestling. It was a mix of storytelling, long-term storytelling between the feud of those two using in-ring work, using violence, using everything to tell just a fantastic story. And they showed exactly what the women's division is going to be all about. And it put the women's division in AEW on the map. And it was the best match in dynamite history. Just going there. Felix loved this. So here we go. Uh, the honey badger. I'm in, asked, I'm in physical pain from that. <laughs> the honey badger said, who's the front runner for the first overall pick? Because it came out. Luke Hughes uh, is uh, got hurt and he is now going to be out I'm, for a little I'm bit of gonna time. I'm going to be honest. I've been honest about this. I have not been researching the draft and I really should. I know that uh, Jake though is you're, you're the one that's been studying the most. So why don't you tell us? I mean, overall, it seems like William Eklund. It seems like everyone has own power at first overall. I'm actually pretty high on William Eklund. His numbers over in Europe are fantastic. Um, I also think a player who I've been a little bit lower on, but there was a fantastic article in uh, EP Ringside this week uh, by Mitch Brown, I believe, who broke down because there's three guys who are going to go in the top five probably from uh, Michigan uh, this upcoming season in Kent Johnson, Owen Power, and Matty Beneers. And Matt Abeneers is a guy I was kind of lower on, honestly, because he's kind of profiled out as a guy that basically drove play but didn't have elite skill. Um, really had a great motor on different things like that. But Mitch Brown did some fantastic work tracking uh, transition play and uh, expected goals and expected assists. And a lot of people are higher on, on a guy like Kent Johnson simply because of the offensive ability and skill level. And that kind of bears itself out in expected goals and expected assists. But the one thing on Matty Beneers is he drives play and also gets expect goals. He he is just a guy that will is a monster. Like, he, but is he, he is he? Do you draft him first overall though? I think it's potential. You potentially do if he's a guy that can become a Jonathan Taves like player, an Andre Kopitar like player in this the, draft. That is, this, it, this might be a draft where you actually kind of draft for for floor. Yes, <laughs> yeah, which mm-hmm. is which is really weird to say and and kind of makes me feel icky. But uh, well, I, I will draft. tell you, I will tell you here that like I personally am a big Matty Bernier fan, and admittedly, I'm a, mostly a big fan of him doing something that you shouldn't be doing and lo- looking world at juniors. his World Juniors performance. Yeah. Right, like I loved him at the World Juniors. Like I got freaky Matt Barzal vibes from him, <laughs> honestly, with 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 some of like his motor and like yeah. his nose for the net and stuff like that. Like I saw and Matt Barzal, for those of you who know me, is one of my favorite younger players in the league right now. But um I'm not entirely sure if he's a first overall pick right now. I think he's definitely but, in the But the mix thing for is you five, could but... probably have that question about a bunch of guys in this draft you like could that, there there's the no like uh, here's the thing the owen power thing was you know owen power was kind of the consensus overall number one first pick heading into this season that's not really the case anymore if you talk to a lot of prospect evaluators it's really opened up and now there's probably like three four maybe if you stretch it you could even have five guys who are in the running for first well, overall J- jake's pet theory is that the ducks should draft jesper wallstadt Jesper Wallstead is is looks to be the best goalie of the last five ten years in this draft, and then trade Gibson. Mm-hmm. I yeah. mean, I don't I don't hate that. I I kind of hate. I don't you, either. I kind of hate that you draft a goalie and hope it works out because that is always a bit of a gamble. But I think 
you know, the Ducks should probably be looking to move Gibson at some point. Um, he doesn't really fit their current timeline, and they could get a ton of value for him. Yeah, and so moving on to the next question, Anime Holics D ninety four said, "Question: Were these Coyote games the most duck or Coyotes games uh, the most Ducks games ever? I mean, the fir- fir- uh, first uh, they have a good game where the baby ducks shine and give fans hope for the future, and then immediately in the next game the team falls on its face. I wasn't even surprised. One thing on those games, I mean, at five on five they were pretty even. It was really just goaltending that let them down." Yeah, like th- that's the thing is this kind of game, the Saturday night's game is a bit of a perception skewer because the score will tell you one thing, but then when you look at the shots, the chances, that will tell you something a little different. Now, I don't think the Ducks played all that well, but they didn't play they didn't like they didn't play as bad as as the score would indicate. And Miller, like I said, has just been awful, but it does kind of show though that like in these series it does always feel like the Ducks are not the team that is making the key adjustment or the team that as the series goes on gets the second or potentially third game gets seems to get better. And that might be more of a coaching thing. But I, I actually, I don't know. I, I The more I've thought about it, I don't think last night's game was, was all that bad. Um, and then, of course, like the funny thing is that for the, the game previous to on Thursday, I don't think the Ducks had this awesome game either. They were just really good in, in concentrated stretches, and that allowed them to pull away with it. Yeah. So, um, I mean, looking at a lot of the numbers, I'll tell you right now, like nobody broke 50% on either shot attempts or expected goals last game at even strength. Like it, it, I, I would say it wasn't the worst game that the Ducks have played, but it was definitely down there. No, they didn't, they didn't play that well, but, you know, no. goaltending. Yeah. Blame Miller. Uh, yeah. Blame oh, yeah. Miller had like a negative two goals saved above expected. Yeah. Like it was awful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so let's go to this question. Ginger Wolf asks, is Zeros Henrique Terry the first line now? And if Henrique yes. is moved, who ends up taking uh, his place on that line? Whether that is Zegras moving in center and you pop in a left winger or who pops in at center? Well, okay. So yes. And yes is my answer. <laughs> the ducks the ducks should move zegris to center i think that that's where he'll end up being anyway he should just start getting reps there now um i think that it is their first line i think it's their best offensive line i think for a while you know the raquel coltois gets line appeared to be the first line and we talked about that i don't even remember when we've recorded like four times this week but um I mean, the Coltois is a bit is in a bit of a doghouse situation right now with Dallas Aikens. He got benched again yesterday. Got he's been benched in the previous game, so I'm not really 100 percent sure what's going on there. I do disagree with benching him in general, just because a I don't think I don't know how much benching is really accomplished, um, and b um, I mean, especially yesterday, the Ducks were down four zero, and you're you're benching your leading scorer. Like maybe just maybe if you're still looking to get back into the game that is a guy who will help you do that. Now, Coltois has been so bad defensively, though, that I think it is kind of warranted to show a little discipline there. Um, but I just don't know if benching him is necessarily the the way to go about it. Uh, but yeah, if they were to trade Henrique, I would be curious to see Getzlaff between Terry and Zegris. Um, you know, if you are still going to leave Zegris on the wing, just because Getzlaff, I think this season, uh, you know, the people are harping on him. The production maybe hasn't been there, but... He's still he's actually been really good at driving play. Like he's been a really yep. solid five on five center. And that's encouraging because look, the a couple of years ago, Getzlaff was real bad and he was dealing with an injury, had a bit of an uptick last year. 
And now this season, really outside of production, he's kind of right back to where he was, you know, like more of a 2018 range. Um, so that is encouraging, especially if the Ducks are going to re-sign him this summer. Uh, so I think putting a guy like that who's strong at five on five to kind of maybe, you know, do whatever you can to mitigate Zegers's developing uh, skills there while also being able to be the benefactor of the all the playmaking that's going on between Terry and Zegras, that would just be a really fun line to me. Yep. Although, Our- although, although I can, I can already hear, you know, like Brian Hayward or someone saying, well, who's going to shoot on that line? Who's going to be the one to take the shot? Because they're just going to pass infinitely to each other. And I, w- uh, I, I want to see them. Ju- has shown that he can shoot when he wants to. I just yeah. want to see them pass infinitely just to piss Brian Hayward off now. Um, so <laughs> let, 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 let's let's through. Let's go through two or three more questions right here. Uh, o Dog eighty one says, "What's Dossel's current situation? When will he be ready for the NHL? And when will he become the number one?" I think probably in two years is when you're going to start to see him making some NHL appearances. As for when he's going to be ready for the NHL to become number one, ugh, I don't know about that. That's a tougher question. Yeah, good luck predicting things with goalies, but I do think that it just depends what the Ducks are going to do with Gibson. Like if they, if the Ducks deem maybe by the end of this year that you know Gibson is a guy that maybe they're, they're thinking about moving on from, then Dostal's uh, timeline gets accelerated. But he has he probably realistically probably at least one more year in the AHL, I would say, which isn't a bad thing. Yep, and yeah, I, I would agree with that. And keep in mind, look at what's happening now with Ryan Miller, right? This has got to be the last year of Ryan Miller, and you have to look at what's going into next year. Assuming you hang on to Gibson going into next year, do you want Dostal to start taking backup duties? Do you want him to do that? Do you want Solars to to take backup duties? Like, there's a lot of questions, and 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 when Dostal, I think, starts even just getting NHL time, I I think that trying to predict the whole number one thing is way out of the question here. So at this point. so so disrespectful to Ole Eriksonek. <laughs> not even I had such high him. hopes for him not even mentioning I did. him how dare you he's still got some time but man he's yeah, an, e- he's with, an ECHLer it's okay to but say but with at the end of the day what you're looking at is when Dostal actually starts getting NHL time is entirely dependent on what the Ducks plan with Gibson is and I don't yep. and I think this offseason is going to be pretty telling with that yep yep um, so let's go to this one. I, I know I see all the questions, but I think this is a good one to kind of end with because we've done a lot of chatter about Toronto. We've talked about Robertson. We've talked about Amirov. We've talked about all those different we? guys. Yeah, I'm, I'm going, I'm going with the collective. <laughs> I we. feel like you have collectively called out J J but J A H seventeen twenty two says, why isn't Carolina talked about being in on Raquel as much? They've been looking for a top six right wing, right handed forward for a while. And so, yes, yeah. I think that the Ducks could also be talking to uh, Carolina. And I think that, I mean, the, the difficult thing is you got to ask for Jarvis. I, I think if you're, you're oh, looking, oh. like, that's a big ask, oh, but you oh, got to oh, do yeah. your best to try to get that. Well, I mean, look, yeah. Jarvis Jarvis was picked, what, three slots ahead of Amirov, something like that. So yeah. it's not like, you know, it's it's not unreasonable. Um, man, if the, Ducks, if the Ducks got Seth Jarvis, I would that would be huge for them. That would like, be a home run. Like I was so mm-hmm. high on him in the draft, like so many good things in his game. And if you just, if you only got Jarvis for Raquel, like that's already a win in my book. Of yep. course they could probably so, get more. They could probably get more. I have, I have a hypothetical here. Let's say okay. the Canes are a match, but 
the cages do not want to go Jarvis, right? That's uh-huh. just too much it's, for them. It's probably unlikely that they would. It probably that. is. Yeah. What would you say if Ryan Suzuki became the Ryan Suzuki here? Um. Well, time to fire up hockey prospecting because I don't <laughs> have a, I don't have a good answer for that. I mean, that, that's Ryan our Suzuki- go-to. Yeah. Right. I mean, R- Ryan Suzuki. I like Ryan Suzuki a lot. Um. I do. I think over the last year, he hasn't been as good um, as he was previously. Um, he's currently playing right now with the Chicago Wolves in the AHL. Um, but that being said, Ryan Suzuki is is kind of considered to be um, a little bit like a like a, a discount version of his brother, right? Of, of, of I Nick love how Suzuki. when you have a brother in hockey, you're you're only you're, comp you're is your instantly going to be compared to him. <laughs> That's it. That's it. That's going to be that's going to be that's going to be Luke Hughes and Quinn Hughes for a while. I'm not. I mean, just looking at Ryan Suzuki's probabilities here right now. So let's see. He was drafted in 2019. So he'd be in his draft plus two. He's at 17 percent star probability and 57 percent NHL, which I mean, that's that's fine. But it seems like a bit of a flyer, whereas I feel like Jar. I mean, yeah, obviously, drive it. We, well, we know Jarvis is better, is. but yeah. Suzuki is a yeah, bit. Suzuki is a bit too much of a flyer to me. Like Suzuki I think, was drafted twenty eighth overall, also. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Like, like even if you got like a Robertson or an Amirov, I mean that that would be, I think, still better than Suzuki. Um, but you know, I mean, if you get Suzuki a first and another young roster player, that's still a good haul. Like that, that's not the worst. Yeah. I'm just not. I guess I'm not super excited about him, but I am basing a lot of this just. I will on say <laughs> I love Raquel to the Canes. Like to me, Raquel is a total Eric Tolsky player. Well, like, yeah, he, he, he just he screams Eric Tolsky. I want him on the Leafs. Well, he also just. I mean, kind fair. Of, he also helps address something that they're not good at, which is like scoring, you know, converting Finishing. chances into goals. Yeah. Um, but yeah, on the Leafs, that would be my ideal destination for him. Just him with. Uh, well, it's funny that we're saying Raquel helps their finishing when he's been absolutely snake bitten this year. I think but, you put uh, him with you put him with better talent. He's gonna well, him more. with Austin Matthews would like Ugh. would be amazing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So just Woo! just as an FYI, I'm looking at Carolina the Carolina Hurricanes uh, prospect pool ranking per Scott Wheeler, and they have Seth Jarvis as their first prospect, and then Ryan Suzuki as their second, Jake Bean as their third, Noel Gundler as their fourth. Um, yeah, so, and that that sounds, sounds about right. right. That sounds yeah, about and, right. I and, mean, I'm not go- really high on that many of those guys. I know, like, that prospect people really love Gunler. Um, but, like, it's just after Jarvis, those are basically all flyers to me. Yeah, agreed. So that I think that's kind of why we focus on the Leafs a little bit more because I think getting Jarvis is going to be harder than getting Robertson or Well, Amirov. also, if, if, you're, if you're the Canes, it just... I mean, I guess if you're just so all-in on this year's team, it makes sense. Um I think but, the Le- the Leafs should be all in on their team this year because they yeah. will ne- they will never have another yeah. opportunity with this division um, my, where they their path to the cup and they will have never the be this season. Depth too. They have yeah. the prospect depth to withstand that. And just so people understand the comparison, like uh, Seth Jarvis, so in in uh, Ryan Suzuki's draft year, he was a twelve percent star probability. Seth Jarvis is forty three percent in his draft year, so Whew. he gonna be good. Um, but yeah, the the thing with the Leafs is just like my issue with the Leafs and that package is I just don't think that like the Ducks should be after Rodion Amirov. That is the guy that they should be targeting, but I don't think that they will. And so then who are they going to get back from them? Like, well, like I'm I, not that excited about Robertson like you are. 
I think oh, a, yeah. lot of, oh, oh, a lot I, of people are high on Robertson. I do want to give this juicy detail, juicy detail about why Jake wants. No, Nick this Robertson. is not why. This just adds. No, no, no. this, is, this, this is adds. Ad- this adds to it. <laughs> it doesn't not, add. I, it, it doesn't it, add. It adds from a like so narrative, a fun like, narrative perspective. Nick, Nick Robertson's like sibling went to USC. Oh, you're, you went that way. No, that wasn't even part of it. No, it, <laughs> it's more so the fact that he's from Arcadia. He was born and raised in Arcadia. No, no, no. But but he, you mentioned to me that his some of his family went yeah, to USC. So? That so? It's just so you. It's just so so perfectly on brand for you. So. I guess I should be a little higher on Robertson, though, just overall as a player. I mean, yeah. I'm looking at, at his numbers here, and well, he is uh, he is really good. He, Although, uh, Amirov has not been that good this year in the KHL, which is kind of interesting. Or the MHL, I guess. Or no, he's in the KHL no, he, now. he was in the yeah. KHL, and I yeah, believe yeah. Amirov is going to be coming over this summer from from all reports yeah. we've seen. But uh, basically, to, to put a bow on that, and we'll, we'll end the pod with that, the, the biggest thing there for the Ducks is getting... I mean, I, I think that deal kind of checks both boxes because they're getting the young roster, pl- the young player that they should be getting in Robertson, and, and then also the first-round pick. And then I guess Bob Murray can, can hide behind getting Kerfoot is getting his 23 to 27 year old player when Kerfoot was basically to make the salary work. But here's the thing. I don't even care if it's Kerfoot do anyone. I don't care. Do something to make the salary work. Well, the big thing is the pick and Robertson. Yeah, exactly. That's the deal. That's the value. Honestly, let's be real here. You know, Bob would, would get Kerfoot and be like, this is the main part of the deal. Yeah. But we, we would know that's not really the case though. That would be, it it actually Uh... could be the case. That's it could thing. be the case. If given what given what we know and what kind of Friedman has reported and other people have been reported, I would not be surprised if that's the way he went. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe yeah, not. Jake just just I don't maybe. know. Maybe. I, I mean, CJ was the one at the start of this that said, Don't Yanni believe pop, no, QB. Don't believe everything that comes out of a general manager's mouth. Or specifically Bob Murray's <laughs> yeah. mouth. Well, so, I mean I mean Alex Kerfoot makes the ducks better. And he's not old. So there you go. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. That's the bar. Actually, so, I don't even know if he makes them better. I'm looking at his stats right now, and I, I'm gonna I, say I, got, uh, that feels more like a lateral move to me than anything. I've got I've got questions. Well, he's better than Sam Steele. So ergo, <laughs> well, he's better than Sam Steele, and he's better than that's Derek not Grant. that hard at this point. <laughs> well, no, but like that's the no, but this is the whole thing I'm trying to say is that like the Ducks have so many players who are just complete negatives. Who even if you bring in yeah. a player who's not that good and is flawed you're still actually going to get better just because you're moving out other just complete negatives. Although we don't even know that. Are we going to see a Kerfoot Grant steel line? Just go all in. No, Delorier will still be. Playing. I might anyway, jump off a cliff. Delorier on the first line. Um, I did see a question <laughs> is, uh, is, is Jones a younger, better? Delorier? Oh yeah, I've, yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot about that one. Sorry. I there, mean, there's I been a lot of questions in there. Jones is Jones is better than Delorier. Yeah, Jones. I mean, is I mean, Delorier was drafted as a defenseman. Yeah. So, not, I almost not a see Jones is like a better skating Nick Ritchie uh, with less penalties, like play driving guy who maybe doesn't finish much. I don't know if he's as good at driving play as Nick Ritchie, but I get see yeah. where you're going with it. Yeah, I mean, I think Nick Ritchie is a is a more talented player overall. Um, he's just not as like like you're gonna make th- a lot of Ducks fans angry with that take. I'm just gonna tell you right now. That's, I think they, right, they know our opinion on Richie that's at my this role. Point in time. Th- yeah, that, that's that's my role in this world. It seems is to piss off Ducks fans. Um, but right. Nick Richie, the thing is, the eye test just isn't kind to Richie because he doesn't no. like 
you know, especially early in his career, not a great skater, you know, doesn't have like those wow moments with the puck, but he just gets it done. Like whatever he does, it translates. And with Max Jones, it's almost the opposite, or at least it was up until now where he, he looks good out there. Like he's a good skater, you know, maybe a little choppy, but he's got good hands and uh and now it is translating into those into those underlying numbers so we'll see yep so i think that's gonna do it for us tonight so want to get into the plugs felix wow what a show we are an hour 56 in and it feels like it's hanging out with us everyone it it feels like it just started yeah it honestly does we we've had we've had a lot of people in our twitch chat tonight so thank you everyone for tuning in live yeah we we could we still have two other things we could have talked about that we didn't so yeah, we, we go three hours. Time. We we three had hours? our whole we had a whole main topic lined up that we just basically scrapped because we didn't have time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's what happens when uh, when you get the three of us together. Okay, folks. Well, hey, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, you know, the Twitch chat tonight was awesome. I was able to monitor that now that I have a, a better computer, so that's cool. Um, if you're a fan of this show, if you enjoy what we do here, there are definitely a few ways. Uh, that you can support us. So to me, the biggest one, the one where you get the most value is our Patreon page. That's at patreon.com slash crash the pond. Um, few different tiers there of support. So for a dollar a month, you get access to our patron only discord chat. And that's basically where you get to hang out with fellow diehard ducks fans. It's, it's really become a place where, you know, I'll go to, it's my favorite place to, to talk hockey. There's always people in there chatting. It seems, I mean, I, I won't be in there and, and I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll check it, and there will have been a conversation raging for the last two hours about some Just, trade idea. Or, or some awful food takes. Mainly Ooh, coming from Jake. Hot no, the that was not lately. me yesterday. That was not me yesterday. There were some <laughs> awful ones yesterday. But, you know, in a world where the internet can be so toxic, and, you know, like social yeah. media, Twitter can be so toxic, I am happy to report that our Discord chat is not that. It's the complete opposite. It's wholesome. And everybody's yep. just there to have a good time. And that's for $1 a month, $1. Now for $5, uh, you get access to that same chat and you also get access to two bonus episodes a month. So of course we do our weekly show here on Sunday nights, but we also record two extra shows where we'll get just kind of deeper dives into different topics. So for example, yesterday morning, Jake and I recorded a pod where we talked about first off, just Jamie Drysdale and just kind of what made him so good to start. And we did a little power rankings of the NHL. So, and we've also done shows where CJ has come on and we've talked about like the Mandalorian. Oh, so, great episode. Yeah. That, that, was, that, that was basically just 30 minutes of Jake just talking. Oh, and that was great. Listening. It was fantastic. It was fantastic. <laughs> and, uh, but, but so, yeah. So, if you enjoy kind of the banter of this show, I think that you're really well served there at that $5 tier. Um, now, for. $15 a month. Now this is a big ask, I understand, but hear me out. You get a you get the Discord chat, you get the two bonus episodes, and you also get to watch and tune in to our watch along. So twice a month we do a live broadcast of a Ducks game. We try to schedule them as far in advance as possible. So like for example, this week we did a uh, watch along of the reverse retro night and it was a lot of fun. So, you know, if you're kind of sick of the commentary that you usually get from the Ducks broadcast or just traditional broadcasts, well, we give you a different, little bit of a different flavor, more stats, more kind of nitty gritty stuff. And also sometimes it's just us 
it's just us kind of shooting the breeze a little bit. Um, it, it's a it's a different it's a different take on it, but I think you'll enjoy it. And that's for fifteen dollars a month. All of that at Patreon.com/slash Crash the Pond. Now, of course, if you don't want to spend any money, that's totally fine. Um, you can leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you do leave us a review there, we will make sure to read it on the show. I don't think we've got any ones this week to go over. Um, and if you're not on Apple, make sure to check us out on Spotify, wherever you do get your podcast. We are also on YouTube, youtube.com slash crash the pond. So if you want to see the video version of the show, um, you can see the, the, the Twitch video and Jake will upload that after each recording and uh, make sure you're subscribing there and turning on your notifications. Now you may see here if you're watching on the recorded, the video version, but we are wearing t-shirts. Crash the Pond t-shirts. Yes, folks. Get a good look. Get a good look at those shirts. Oh, yeah. We're full modeling going on here on the show. we got CJ and Jake showing the back. That's great. So we've got t-shirts. They've got our beautiful Crash the Pond crest on them with the Honda Center arches, palm trees, hockey sticks, just everything. Everything that we love and hold dear to our hearts. We've got a couple of different versions. White, which has got the orange version of the logo. Orange t-shirt. Also has the orange version. And my personal favorite, the one that I'm wearing, black with the eggplant and jade egg, version. So the eggplant also comes in white and mint. 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 mint green mint. as an option. Mint. Okay. So that's at, crash the, that's at crashthepond.com slash shop. Um, and there's also hoodies. So, you know, it's still, look, it's still a little chilly here in SoCal. We're not quite at summertime yet. It does dip into the 50s at night, so make sure you're warm. Get yourself a hoodie. Um, most of our listeners are in SoCal, so I'm, I'm, I'm okay with targeting it there. But, hey, for, for our listeners over in Europe or up in, up in the north in Canada, hey, a, a hoodie couldn't hurt there. But that, that'll we've, probably be more like your base layer, I would we, imagine. We've got some anime holics uh, who's in our Twitch chat is in Finland, one of our, our longtime listeners yeah. of this show from, I think, oh, way geez. back in the Mixler days. And oh, uh, someone who helps uh, monitor our uh, Discord chat and yep. mod it. So, Legend. Yes. Uh, so... Yes, we have people all over, all the way from Germany to Finland to Australia to New Zealand, all over the world listening to us. Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy, actually. Um, yeah. But yeah, so get, get yourself get yourself some merch. That's at crashthepond.com slash shop. Hey, once the Ducks uh, let fans in again, which could actually be coming up soon, there's, there's talk of that happening uh, before the season ends, uh, you could... Go to Ducks games wearing a Crash the Pond t-shirt. How cool would that be? Probably the hoodie because of how freaking cold Honda Center gets, um, if we're being honest here. Be a walking advertisement for us. You know you want to. Let people know. Let people know. Exactly. Um, And also, we've got articles going up at CrashThePond.com. So after each Ducks series, we post five takeaways from that series or game. So Jake has his going up tomorrow. Make sure to check that out. Um, I'm sure it'll be really good and interesting and not have any inaccuracies which is always what we strive for. Um, make sure to check so us out. So what you're saying is you're going to be editing it, right, Felix? <laughs> I guess I have to, huh? Uh, <laughs> make sure to check us out on social media, at Crash the Pond on Twitter. Search Crash the Pond on Facebook. CJ is on Twitter, at CJ Woodling. Jake is on Twitter, at ReindeerGames91. And I'm on Twitter, at Felix underscore Sicard. So, whoa, what a show, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great week. Enjoy Bavarian Crepes Day tomorrow or today when you're listening. And we will talk to you. And we will talk to you at the next show. Have a good one, guys. Bye. Thanks, everyone.